the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, The Wind, starring Meg Foster, Wings Hauser, and Robert Morley. Corey, do you hear that? You hear that sound? Oh, oh, it's, is it is it the? So, is it, is it something blowing at the windows? It's either something blowing at the windows or somebody farted. Either way, <laughs> tonight we're talking about 1986's The Wind. Ooh, spooky! I don't know why I did that, guys. <laughs> Spoiler alert: There's wind in this movie. <laughs> Spoiler alert! I know I'm just going to jump right into it. Myra and I popped in the Blu-ray. Uh, I know nothing about this movie. We pop in the Blu-ray, the Arrow Blu-ray, and of course it shows you scenes from the movie. And Myra says to me, she goes, "Oh, so it is about the wind." And I was like, "Oh, I, I guess it's kind of on the nose. It's about the wind. Okay, cool." <laughs> yeah, it's about the wind. Um, the wind plays a very big role in this film, much like the fog. Uh, mm-hmm. John Carpenter's The Fog. Big difference between the wind and the fog, though, I would say, yeah. uh, in these two films. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> but, the, the, but the factor and the deciding factor in choosing this movie for, for tonight is one particular person. One person that we have championed for well over a year. We've covered up to this point now, I think, maybe five or six of his films. Uh, this being his sixth film. But this is a Wingshauser film. To go along with our love of Wingshauser, it's another Wingshauser movie we're bringing to the table tonight. Um, The Wind came out in 1986. We'll break down the cast, the crew, yada, 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 bada bing, bada boom, because it's pretty prolific in my opinion. But goddamn, yet another a-plus Wingshauser performance. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. Wings is... So much fun in this movie. An absolute delight to watch. Um, also, this is, as you said, we've done like like five or six Wings movie, movies by now. If you want to count 315, The Moment of Truth, like he's in it, but like he's not like one of the main characters, you know. True. So we have yeah. covered six, but technically it's five. Doesn't matter. This is the first one that my wife Myra has watched with me. And after it was all over, I was like, so, you know, she, I mean, but she obviously knows that we love Wings. She knows all about our love affair with him. So I was like, well, what would you think of him? She was like, he was awesome. He was so much fun. And I was like, right? He's such a cool dude. And he's kind of crazy in this movie, but he's also really, really fun to watch, you know? Yeah, he, if if you're just joining us and you have yet to listen to our other Wings Hauser breakdowns, we highly recommend you go back and check those. But if you are new to all this, we are huge Wingshauser fans. Um, we This all started way back when, when we both equally were like, no, Wingshauser needs to get credit where credit is due. The guy is a phenomenal actor. Uh, he has a myriad of performances from 
villains to hero to mostly villains. Well, so Myra did ask that. She was like, so is this what he normally plays? And I was like, you know what? It's kind of 50-50 at this point. We have almost equal amount of crazy bad guy wings as we do good guy wings. And I can't tell you which one I like better, you know, because I think he's so much fun in all of these roles. And he, this one feels very different than, like, his role as the crazy guy in L.A. Bounty. Like, even when he plays crazy, he plays a different kind of crazy. And I think that's a testimony to Wings' uh, you know, his, his versatility, you know. Yeah, he's versatile. He brings a level of gravitas to his role um, and uniqueness. This will also be the first time we've seen Wings with uh, a mustache. Uh, one of my notes is that Wings looks fantastic with a mustache. He really does. He really does. It suits him well. It does. It does. <laughs> and yeah, Wings Wings is uh, kind of, I think in his overall filmography, there's probably more quirky villainous characters than not. Uh, I'm more partial to his heroic ones, a la Stoney in... Deadly Force. Go back and check that episode out if you haven't listened to it already. But in this one, in The Wind, he plays a character named Phil, uh, who I think is way more complex than maybe he was on paper. And I think Wings definitely brought the, his A-game to this role. Yeah, I have a little backstory for, for the Phil character that I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give it to you in, in a bit in, in the movie and everything. Um, but cool. yeah, I, I might have to agree with you because looking back on the other Wings movies we've done, my favorite is Deadly Force uh, because Same. I think Same. he was, yeah, he was so cool in that and it was such a fun movie, um, you know, but he played a good guy in that. So maybe, hey, maybe I, I like, you know, him there, but this might be my favorite bad guy Wingshauser role. Because like you said, I don't know if there was much there on paper, but I think he brought a lot to that character when when it came time to film. Yeah, I think, yeah, it seems like it. Um, this film is uh, not the most highly rated. Actually, that's no, pretty much the same uh, rating, fan rating that all his movies get. It's somewhere middle of the road. I love this movie. Uh, I actually liked it even more the second time through breaking it down than I did the first time watching it, as Corey says, funsies. Um, <laughs> I know we kind of jumped into this. I jumped over our introductions even. Uh, so, by the way, it's me, Sweet Tiny T, Zach Schaefer. <laughs> and joining me, as always, is my beautiful, bodacious co-host, Corey Stevenson. Uh, so, Corey, I know you're doing good, but tell everybody, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. We were just so excited to jump in this movie. and We were. Sorry, and, guys. I jumped the gun. And, you know, obviously, I'll, I'll let you all know what my backstory is before, before Zach gets into his, because, you know, he's the one that's breaking this down, so he has more of a connection to it. Um, I never heard about this movie until the Arrow Blu-ray got released. And I want to say that was about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Yeah. Um, I loved the cover and I put it in my Amazon wish list, and there it sat for its entirety up until about three weeks ago, where I was like, ah, I was just going through my wish list. I was like, you know, am I ever going to really like watch this movie or whatever? It, but it was sitting there for so long. And so I, I, I begrudgingly deleted it because I was trying to clean up my, my Amazon wish list. 
and and I've been spending way too much money on on movies and stuff. So I was like, okay. And then when I unwrapped it, that this is the movie, I was like, oh my god, it was almost like a Christmas present, you know? Yeah. Because I'd been staring at this Blu-ray for so long, and truth be told. I didn't even know that was Wings on the cover. Uh, I didn't look sort of that closely at it. I kind of was more, because Meg Foster's a bit more prominent on the cover. And so is um, Elias, you know, and everything. Yes. So I was like, okay. And I didn't even know it was a Wings movie until Zach and I had a little bit of a discussion, kind of because we were like, okay, we want to do a Wings movie next. And Zach told me to open this one. So, of course, right when I opened it, I was like, oh, so this is a Wings movie, you know. But that's kind of my connection to it. It's weird, you know, it's weird that I've been kind of staring at this cover in my my watch, my wish list for like a year and a half, you know. So I'm very familiar with the cover. And it's a beautiful cover too, by the way. Arrow really outdid themselves. But thank you, Zach, for getting it for me, man. It's almost like you reached into my, my wish list and grabbed it for me. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, really quickly, my connection to this film is not that deep. Uh, I did see it once when I was younger, I want to say when I was a teenager, uh, renting it at the local video store and didn't really think much of it back then, probably because I was expecting a gore fest and spoiler, this is not a gore fest. It's very much a straight up thriller. An, an atmospheric uh, which is actually really, thriller. Yes, very much an atmospheric thriller and very refreshing, actually, to be honest with you. Yes, man. Yes, this is so different from any movie that we've ever reviewed on the show. And just for that alone, I absolutely adore it. Yeah, me too. Uh, Arrow did a really beautiful transfer with the film. Uh, it comes with a booklet, uh, which has a nice backstory about Nico Mastarakis, uh, who directed this film and wrote it. He uh, and his kind of love and his relationship with Greece and his disdain for the tourists that come in and kind of <laughs> destroy it. Um, he also, this movie, uh, the, 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 the Blu-ray itself features a reversible uh, cover, and it's, it's cool. I mean, look, if you're a Wingshauser fan, you should have this in your catalog. If you are a Meg Foster fan, you should have this in your catalog. If you're a Nico uh, Mustarakis fan, you should have this in your catalog. If you're a fan of offbeat thrillers, you should have this in your catalog. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's a good. good one. Yeah, it's good. Uh, really quickly, I'm just going to break down. Oh, sorry. Uh, really quickly, before we break down the, the cast and crew and whatnot, Corey, is your relationship with this movie pretty much... Uh, what you just shared, the the Amazon wish list, and then just watching it recently? Yes, that that is literally it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good to know because, you know, so often this actor, Wings Hauser, gets overlooked um, as like, oh, he's a B-movie guy. Well, he's, he's not, actually. He's really not a B-movie guy. He's a very versatile dude who has done a myriad of films, um, you know, Eric Roberts, at this point in his career, people go, oh, Eric Roberts is in this, so it's probably going to be a, a B-movie. But there was a time when Eric Roberts was considered, and rightfully so, like an Emmy-nominated actor, Golden Globe, or, yeah, Golden Globe-nominated actor, Oscar-caliber actor. I think Wings is on that same level for sure. Um, and this performance kind of shows it. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, Deadly Force, B-movie. Mutant, B-movie. Yeah. The Wind, not a B movie at no. all. It just didn't get like crazy wide release or anything, but it's not a B movie. It is exceptionally made. Yeah, I agree. Um, the director and writer, Nico 
Mustarakis. Uh, he's actually has quite a filmography. Um, he's 132 kind of titles within his, you know, writing and directing repertoire. Um, but some movies that were maybe more specific to our genre, uh, or our podcast, I almost don't want to give one movie away because it might be a Wingshauser down the road that we're going to be doing, but I'll say it anyway. So yeah, Nightmare at Noon, keep that in the back of your mind okay. later on in the movie when there's well, a reference. That's interesting because she actually references it in the movie. Yep, exactly. Uh, that movie came out after The Wind yeah. a couple years later, so that's interesting. The Zero Boys uh, featuring a Podcasting After Dark alum, Kelly Maroney. Uh, oh. I actually really like that movie a lot. It's um, it's different. I think if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. And he also did Death Has Blue Eyes, which I only reason I'm bringing it up is because I think Arrow or somebody put out a Blu-ray just within the last like four or five months of that, and so it popped up on our feed, and you know everybody was posting it and whatnot. Oh yeah, that's right. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. He. I mean, he's got a pretty extensive filmography. I'm not going to go through it, but it it uh, runs the gamut of action to well maybe movies that might be on aaron gilmer's new podcast (laughs) in the cold of the night hint hint nudge nudge rated nc-17 Ooh, and almost two hours long so there you go (laughs) um yeah so nico masterakis uh he was the founder of omega pictures which is the uh production company behind this movie and and, the, and it opens with a cool like logo of theirs yeah but let's get to the cast meg foster we all know who she is she yep. plays sean anderson s-i-a-n yeah. i guess yeah. that's irish or something i'm not sure to be honest with you but yeah not not s-e-a-n um but yeah of course uh i always know and love her obviously from they live but personally me uh she will always be evil lynn from masters of the universe to me ditto and ditto she is known for her beautiful blue eyes her hauntingly blue eyes they are haunting hauntingly really haunting. beautiful yes wings hauser of course uh plays phil david mccollum plays Sean Anderson's boyfriend, John, David McCollum. I know him from uh, The Man from Uncle and The Great Escape. Yeah. Yeah. Me, no, me too. But also looking through his, uh, you know, filmography, he does a lot of voice work now for DC movies. Uh, like in the Wonder Woman cartoon, he was Zeus, uh, you know. So he's doing a lot of voice work, it looks like, these days. And he's actually even played Alfred in a, in a few of the Batman cartoons as well. Very cool. Yeah, and he was on uh, NCIS for a long time as well. So that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, Robert Morley. Robert Morley, dear girl. Maybe I should call <laughs> dear Corey girl. dear girl. You dear don't girl. mind, if I, you you don't don't mind if I call you dear girl, do you, dear girl? <laughs> God. You don't know who this dude is. He's a very old school actor from the 1950s on. He's he Prob- passed away in 92. Probably best known for the African Queen. Yes, yes. Um, but he was in quite a few fun 80s movies like The High Road to China with uh, Tom Selleck. And or The Great Muppet Caper. There you go. I mean, that actually, I really love that Muppet movie. Yeah, that me might too. be one of my. Is that the one with Charles Grodin? I believe so. But my mind favorite will always be uh, uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, I, yeah, you love that movie. Or Marley and Marley. Ooh. One of my least favorite is Muppet Treasure Island, but I still enjoy it. Yeah, 
I always, you know what? Muppets always have a base level of enjoyment for me. Yeah, all of them do. Even mm-hmm. Muppets go to space or whatever. It's <laughs> bad, but it's good. Um, Steve Rails back, Woo-hoo! another pad alum. He makes a return appearance. I knew Corey would be excited about this. He plays Kesner. Very small role, but y'all know who Steve Rails back is. Of course, and, and honestly, small role, but crushes it in it. Crushes it. This actually, I'm not going to go through the rest of the cast because it's a bunch of kind of fairly unknowns. Um, and that's that's the main cast. I do want to point out one interesting person. Did you recognize a well-known name in the credits? When no, they're... I was too busy looking at the uh, four uh, wind blowers getting their credits. Uh, <laughs> in it, but, that's hilarious. Uh, no, I, I did not. Who, who, who are you looking at? Well, one of the composers oh, is Hans oh. Zimmer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. I Yeah. Music-wise, Hans Zimmer. I saw that, and I was like, holy shit. That's wild. And by the way, the music in this is fan-fucking-tastic. The music is great. There's like a mixture of like giallo style and then kind of mainstream, uh, like traditional Hollywood style. It's really interesting. I mean, Hans Zimmer, uh, I had Thanksgiving at that dude's house. So, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I never told you that story. No. I'll tell you what, I'll save the Hans Zimmer story for Wrap Up After uh, Wrap Dark. Up After Dark yeah, okay. A Patreon exclusive. <laughs> okay. If you want to know my Hans Zimmer, Mr. Schaefer hanging out at Hans Zimmer's house on Thanksgiving, go sign up for our Patreon now. It's worth it. <laughs> it is. I, I will. And I can't wait to hear this one. I'm excited for this one. Oh, dude, this was this is this is good shit. Yep, yeah, for but, sure. But Hans Zimmer, dude, when I saw his name pop up, and yes, I, I did notice that immediately when I was watching the movie the first time. I was like, oh shit, that's a big fucking name for you know what I perceive of to be a, a really small production film. Uh, but that's a big get right there. Was I guess was Hans Zimmer big then as he is now? I don't think so. Um, I know he was in the Buggles. You know, video killed the radio star. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he and he dabbled with like being in a rock band for a minute with that, and then he became. I I, I don't think this. Is, I don't think this was his first gig, but maybe one of his first. Okay. Okay. Which is, I mean, he's an Academy Award winning person now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and like we said, the music in this movie is awesome. Oh, Diallo and I both share a connection with Hans because he worked at Hans' studio, I believe. Oh, okay. Okay. So maybe we'll have we'll, Diallo we'll on wrap-up. We'll fact check that later. Maybe we should we'll have Diallo on wrap-up. That would be cool. We've never had him on there. Oh, yeah. Diallo, I know you're listening, so join <laughs> us. Um, I don't know, though. There's not much more to say about this movie outside of the, you know, some of the nuts and bolts we'll get to while we're discussing the movie and breaking it down. But I'm excited to break this movie down um, yet again. I the, I, have I broken down every Wingshauser movie so far? I think, yeah, you have. This is, I mean, yeah, you initiated this this thing. You know what? That's a good point. Maybe I need to get a Wingshauser movie in under my belt. I, you know what? I'm going to work on that. I'm going to look okay. into one that I want to do, and I'll, I'll cross-verify that you, you don't have it, like, in the mix or something. Um, that's a really good point. I have not broken down a Wingshauser movie yet, but that means I get to ride shotgun and just enjoy Wingshauser for all he's worth. So without further ado, <laughs> I can't blow. I'm a smoker. I'm next smoker. That's all the lung capacity I have, guys. I want you all to take note. Corey says he can't blow. <laughs> Isolate that and cut.
For Sean Anderson, life has always been a challenging game, full of surprises, twists, and unexpected endings. Just promise me that you won't be nosy and that you'll stay out of trouble this time. Now, being in the wrong place at the worst possible time is in my blood. Sean makes her living writing about murder. I'm into mystery. Murder. So am I. I'm afraid I haven't read your books. She has carefully picked the location for her new book. A desolate, deserted, 2,000-year-old city. Do you believe in ghosts, dear girl? I've never seen one. Neither have I. But at times like this, I feel them passing by. From her rear window, she witnesses a murder. can be very dangerous at this time of the year. You can't run. You can't go out. You can't hide. And you can't stay inside. By the way, I just thought we were going to jump into uh, your Broken Wings version of for Wings Hauser, but uh, maybe we'll save that for later in the show when Wings makes his appearance in the movie. Oh, We're about yeah. to break down right now. <laughs> okay, so straight up, this movie opens with a 
Omega Entertainment title card, old school 80s. I'm like, I don't recall seeing this title card back in the day, but I'm glad I'm seeing it now. Yeah, I like it. I like it. There is a narration that instantly starts playing while there's a shot of an 80s mansion in the Hollywood Hills. I track this dialogue midway through the narration. I'm like, do I need to be writing all this down? No, it's it's a bad joke. She tells it's 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 fine. Like I like it. I liked it less the second time. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? I'm gonna I'm gonna bore you guys by reading it because I wrote the whole damn thing. Down. Okay, do okay? it. Just so go for it. While the narration is playing, um, there's kind of like different various shots throughout this '80s home. It's very '80s. There's like, um, you know disgusting white carpets that you know are just going to get stained as shit there's a there's a wine glass on the ground there's like this white 80s tubing light throughout the house my note was what the hell is that tube light thing is it christmas or something i didn't know what the fuck that was (laughs) i don't know ugly ass couch um just like really like the tackiest of the tacky 80s decor which i kind of like as much as we love 80s fashion I do not like a, a lot of 80s like furniture and decor. I would never want it in my home, but it's but it's fun to look at. Yeah. <laughs> so the narration goes like this, and it's Meg Foster, Sean Anderson narrating. So St. Peter leaves and Jesus remains guarding the gateway to heaven, his eyes feasting on the serenity of the sky, and the clouds suddenly out of the swelling mist. An old man appears wearing a worn-out suit, carrying a crooked cane, Heavy spectacles sit beneath his heavy eyebrows. He approaches Jesus and says, Good morning. I would like to get into heaven. And And by the way, she does like that voice too. She does. It's kind of disturbing. It is. And Jesus says, "You You will if you led a worthy life. And what was your profession on earth, sir? At this point, there's a super awesome title card of the wind. The font of the wind is dope. Yeah, no, I have that as a note as well. I love the wind title card. Same and same. And the old man says, I was a carpenter. At this point, there's like a really cool shot of their, uh, the, the pool that's at the house. Has an underwater window. Yeah. I want that. Yeah, well, you gotta be hella rich. <laughs> yes, whatever... John does, but we'll get to that. Jesus pauses for a moment, looks at the old man, and says in a low voice, Strange. I used to know a man who was a carpenter. The old, the old man nods. I know how you must feel, he says, because I had a son I haven't seen in a very long time. There's also, at this point, the camera pans by a 80s living room, with the TV on, and the TV has like a shot of the uh, some Greek, old ass Greek structure. Yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, it's yeah, it's almost like a documentary or something like that. I was like, why is that on the TV, and why why are they like wasting film time like with it? You know, <laughs> it's because they're going to Greece later, and it's I supposed guess. to. Set, I don't yeah. know. A lump comes to Jesus's throat. That man says, Jesus. That carpenter was my father. Jesus studies the old man's features. And at this point, there's a shot of a magazine on the counter, Hollywood Reporter. And 
Sean's face is plastered on the front and it says Sean Anderson goes to the movies America's top mystery writer inks a six picture deal with Paramount back to the narration strange says Jesus but you look familiar to me and as that happens there's a cool shot of a poster like a movie poster or a book cover that says fire below it's one of Sean's movies or books that she's made yeah, and apparently uh, that's a real story that the Nico wrote. Um, and but I did like on on the cover of it because it's supposed to be her book, so it's spelled S E A N. First time I watched it, I was like, "That's eh, interesting." Or you kind of didn't pick pick it up. And then later she mentions like, "Oh, I never should have put a man's name on the the cover." So she's sort of like using her same name, but yet doing the male version, so everyone thinks that Sean Anderson's a guy. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. Uh, and yeah, that poster is dope. And calling anything fire below makes me think that you've got a venereal disease. I'm just yeah, saying. Yes, absolutely. Saying. Absolutely. And, and speaking of like, you know, misconstrued names, uh, he filmed, he had to film this, uh, under a different name because, uh, the wind over in the UK is synonymous with like flatulence. So he didn't want it to be like, sort of like made fun of or whatever. So he filmed it like the unlimited terror or something like that. Yeah. But, some generic, yeah. Name, super generic name. And the wind is way better. It is. For, I, totally. Back to narration. <laughs> the old man squints again, looks up at Jesus and says, you look familiar to me too. With tears in his eyes, Jesus opens his arms and says, Father? The old man wipes a tear from his eye, opens his arms and says, Pinocchio? <laughs> At this point, you hear Sean giggling. It cuts to her on the couch with her boyfriend, John, making out. Uh, well, I'm going to clarify. She's making out with his chin. She's like biting his chin, kissing his chin. Um, yeah. V- very weirdly. It is it is the grossest makeout scene that I've ever seen. Uh, the first time I, I saw, I watched it, She they sort of go to kiss and she kisses his chin. And, and I was like, huh, did she miss? You know, did they sort of miss their mark? And like even Myra was like, well, that was weird. And then she starts making out with his chin now maybe that would be great and all if he was bruce campbell but he's fucking he's got the weakest fucking chin and jaw that you've ever seen he's got like a british man's chin actually meg foster has a stronger jawline than he does and she's making out with it like as if he was like a hot piece of ass he's not he's not at all <laughs> well, and 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 to David's credit, he is British. So uh, yes, and I mean, David John, has a strong sorry. chin. It, he does not. He does not get the the British weak chin. He has a strong one. Uh, but this guy, this guy has a very very weak chin. Yes, John has a very weak chin. I agree. Uh, but you know, she she's all happy that she told the story, and John says. You know, your sense of humor is sick, and she goes, "Oh, come on, admit it. You love it." He goes, "I liked it. I didn't love it." He says, you think unexpected things are brilliant. I prefer normal short stories. <laughs> kind of in a way, he like offends her. Yeah. Like he doesn't like. And and be totally honest with you, in this scene, 
he is so not into her in this scene. I, He's so not. I know. And Meg Foster, beside making out with the, the man's chin, she is sticking her tongue in his mouth, in the actor's mouth, and he doesn't seem like he wants to any of it. No, he is uh, very much kind of seems a little disgusted by her, to be honest with you. I know. Uh, and he even says, like, I'm I'm 42 years old. I'm not one of the hunky boys that you <laughs> write in your stories and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm four years older than him. And like he he looks like he's 10 years older than me now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, she she wants to have sex with him again. And he's like, look essentially once is good enough for me. I'm 42. Uh, you know, I, I, I it's late cause they've been up all night apparently. Yeah. It's like and she, five in the morning and, now or something. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, what are you complaining about? You're going to be without me for the whole weekend alone. And, uh, and then she continues to make out with his face, with his face, not his mouth, his face, his face guys, not his mouth. Uh, but then suddenly he grabs a remote off of a counter and um, they hear a humming noise from outside. He grabs uh, a remote and pushes the button on a, uh, like opening up the blinds to a, the master window in the living room. And you see a Goodyear blimp outside their window. And suddenly the blimp lights up Bon Voyage. I'll miss you. Well, they it says Bon giggle. Voyage Sean. Yeah, sorry. And they both giggle. It's very romantic. I mean, they had to rent the good Goodyear blimp to do that. It is the Goodyear blimp. This is not CGI. No. And for a dude that is so not wanting to make out with her, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I, would, I mean, but I guess he, he's super rich. You can tell. We don't quite know what he does. I think he's got something to do with movies because later you see him. It looks like he's reading the script or something. Maybe he's a producer. Maybe he's her agent. I don't know. But you can tell it's good his point. house. He's got a shit ton of money. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Cut to the next day. Sean is still at John's house. Uh, she's got her girlfriends there with her. She's at a brunch table outside with her one friend and another friend approaching them as they're having this discussion about how awesome John is. Can I just tell you the girl approaching them? She's got like an 80s one piece uh, swimming suit on. Oh my God, I miss those because they just went all the way up. I love the cut of 80s one piece swimming suits from like the mid to late 80s. Agreed. <laughs> you gots to shave when you go out in a dress like that. And I don't and mean, I don't your, mean legs. your legs. <laughs> oh, man. Go, if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to our Adventures of Ford Fairlane review from season one. Please do. Please do. Oh, Don I, Cleveland. The, uh, the, the friend, Francis, who's sitting at the table with Sean, says, I'd give my left arm for a blimp. And then Sean says, you are a hopeless romantic. And then her friend says, well, you're too hard-nosed. And Sean says, oh, I don't know. Maybe I really am a man. And then she says, I mean, I don't like long relationships, you know. She, like, does this, like, manly voice. Yeah. I love adventure. What's wrong with that, eh, babe? <laughs> and her friend says, sounds like you do need a trip. And Sean says, no, I need to play. It's going to be a lot of long, hard work. And her friend says, I know you'll find time to play. And she giggles and she goes, in a 2,000-year-old town? And her friend says, Don't fool me, Sean, darling. You'll play even if you have to do it with a ghost. <laughs> and, you know, I got to say, I, I was just kind of curious as to how old Meg Foster was when she filmed this. 
Uh, she was 37 when she did this. I think it's kind of awesome that, you know, and I'm speaking from 80s Hollywood, that they would, you know, have a lead be cast of a movie that old that, you know, she wasn't like a side character or something. She's the lead. Usually, you know, in this time frame, they usually cast somebody in their 20s or something. So I was like, you know, that's pretty cool. I I, I love Meg Foster in this movie. I think she's absolutely stunning, and uh, I love seeing her in it. Well, and she's an interesting-looking person. Uh, I don't think there's ever been anybody who's looked like her before Mm-mm. or since. Yeah. She has a very unique look. Uh, if you guys don't know who Meg Foster is, she has these really haunting blue eyes, and she's a redhead. So it's like they almost look like she's wearing contacts. She, you know, when in They Live or Blind Fury even, like she, um, you know, it's like it's very – like, I don't want to say off-putting, but you just, you, you look at her and you have to like look at her for a minute to really kind of study what she's all about. Because her, her eyes are so like light blue. They're like ice blue. And they're almost, sometimes at a glance, the way the light hits them, they're almost like white. So you're almost like, oh my God. And even when she just plays quote unquote, like a normal role or something like, like you see like in the abyss or something, she yeah. still just stands out because you're like, holy crap, are those eyes real? And yeah, they are. Yeah, she was in Leviathan, right? Oh, was Peter yeah. I sorry. I, yeah, I always kind of got that confused. Yeah, she was in Leviathan, and then I think Peter Weller punches her at the end, right? Well, she she's on the computer monitor. Yeah, right? and then they she, he finally sees her. I think at the top or the whatever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, or was it, that the abyss? I thought both no, of those was, movies have Leviathan. somebody on the computer monitor. Yeah, I know it's Leviathan. So there's a lot of punching going on. There is. So. <laughs> But not with her. No. Uh, it, well, and actually not in this. She tries, but anyways. But she's built like she's buff in this, too. Oh, yeah. No, at one point she has uh, she's got like sleeveless uh, shirt on. She's got some guns on her, man. She she does. But sadly, in these L.A. scenes, she's wearing the giant oversized, you know, shoulder pad power jackets and everything. Yeah. So so she's sitting with her friends and they're and they're all gabbing about how she's going to have this fun time and even though she's quote-unquote working in greece in this 2000 year old town she's about to go to cut to the next scene john is putting luggage in the back of a limousine and getting in with sean going to the airport and he says to her i'll miss you and she says we'll see and then he says just promise me that you won't be nosy and you'll stay out of trouble this time and she says well, being in the wrong place at the worst possible time is in my blood. And he says, you know what they say about you, don't you? Ballsy little wench, they both say at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's interesting. So two thoughts I have about this scene. At first, I'm like, this is just kind of a throwaway scene, but it really sets up the type of person she is because yeah. she is nosy. And um, shows that like he's super into her. But she's kind of like this free spirit, maybe free spirit. And yeah. I've I've dated free spirits in the past and they can be really annoying. <laughs> I was going to say they can be problematic sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Where they're like, I don't know. But if we if we get if I get serious now, what's going to happen in my future? Like, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, dudes, if, if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're dating, well, I'm sorry. It's rough. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not dating in my 20s or 30s anymore, buddy. Yes. 
Yes. Um, so after she says, they say ballsy little wench at the same time, She that's when she says, I shouldn't have put a man's name on my books. Yeah. Suddenly, phone in the car rings, and John picks it up, cuts to the car in the freeway as they're driving, cuts back to them in the car, and John says, what about your landlord? And she says, what about him? And John says, Elias doesn't sound very Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> I Are you that. sure he speaks English? <laughs> and she says, well, if he doesn't, my sign language is fluent. And John says, promise you'll call. And Sean says, the moment I miss you. Like, oh, you know what? Fuck off. Sorry. Yeah. Like, seriously. But, but, but also, with your, but yeah. also wouldn't, is sign language the same for every language? That's no, my... I think I think it's like implying like I can flip him off. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, okay. she's so tough. Yeah. And also to like, uh, yeah, no, John, John. Well, so here's the weird thing right here. John is the worst, but I will say later, I like that he immediately believes her and, and goes into, into action. But here I was like, I was like, man, John, you're not coming off too strong in my opinion right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, all of this is just, all of this is to set up the fact that she is, uh, yeah, like you said, a free spirit and she's kind of doing this thing that could potentially be dangerous. Spoiler, it is very dangerous. <laughs> um, you know, she says she's going to stay with her friend Jane the first night, and then she's on her way to Monenvasia, and which John can't pronounce. Um, so ultimately, I'm not going to say Monenvasia throughout the whole thing. I'm just going to say, like, the villa, yeah. the village, et yes. cetera, et cetera. Yep. But I just want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. They arrive at LAX. Oh, which, LAX. Which looks exactly the fucking same. It does. Uh, I would say the only difference is there's no traffic. Yeah. I saw this and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Where's the cars? <laughs> Sean says goodbye to John. Uh, he kisses her on the cheek, not on the chin. And she's off. And the camera stays on John, who looks pensive as you fade into a beautiful overhead shot of Greece. I'm assuming it's the Monenvasia area that they were talking about. Yeah. And honestly, this is awesome. There's like a solid, oh, yeah. like a minute, minute and a half of some aerial photography of this little town. Uh, and, you know, Zach will go into a little bit of the voiceover that that's that's happening at the same time. But this is this is awesome. And I can only imagine, you know, back in the day, 1986, you know, you don't have Google Earth to go look at everything and anything you want to see. And you got to understand, like, some of these movies, they got permission to, like, shoot stuff just because the the tourist committee was like, let's show off what we have here, you know? And this is some beautiful, touristy sort of looking thing. And you can tell that, you know, Nico loves this location, loves this area, has a love for it. And I think it all comes through right here. And it's a very unique location, too. Yeah, I agree. And and I think this is also a perfect example of a movie that pads time by mm-hmm. doing like these longer extended shots or scenes yep. very well. Uh, we've the fairly recently in the past few movies we've broken down. There has been padding in the movies that has not worked. No, like see, extra see, dialogue. Or, you see sorority babes. There was extra padding in that. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean. One thing I thought about sorority babes that could have filled the time with was having the arcade machines turned on and like just cool shots of the arcades going on or maybe yeah. the kids playing the video games at one point. But but this is but what didn't. a great like filmmaker will do. A talented, yes. Someone yeah. who's trained, someone who has yeah. a background. 
And and I don't know, we didn't obviously mention it, but I love the editing in this film as well. I agree. I totally agree with you. I think it's real. This movie again, out of Wings's filmography that we've broken down thus far, probably his best movie overall he's been in. Yeah, yeah. Like as a film. Yeah, agreed. Yes. Agreed. Yes. So yeah, the there's a beautiful shot of Greece. The Greek music is playing, and then suddenly you hear a British accent come on doing a kind of voiceover narration. It's Elias's voice, who you're going to meet in a moment. He says, Lovely, isn't she? Quite a Mecca, you know. 60,000 people used to live here in the old days. They built their houses one on top of the other. Underground passages for protection, attacking warships, you see. The natives got sick and tired of getting shells for breakfast. Sean then asks, Was she ever taken? Elias says, Only once since 375 AD. By the way, I just want to point out, the while this voiceover is taking place, you continue to see the overhead shots of Greece. So it's a great way to like continue the scene, but not have to have scenes with the two actors. Mm-hmm. Elias then says, The attackers cut the supply lines of Momnvasia. It means only one access. All of this stuff is super important. Mm-hmm. The, yep. the underground passages come into play. Yep. The only one access comes into play. Because it's this also is... it's also has to do with the villa she's staying in. So it's almost like it's interesting because he's referring to Greece, but you can take or, or he's referring to this town and you can take what he's saying, also apply it to the villa that she's staying at. Yes, totally, totally. Cut to the next scene. It's Sean and Elias arriving in the town. Sean says to Elias, I thought you were Greek. And Elias says, very amused, he goes, Elias isn't exactly English, but not Greek. Meanwhile, I wrote down, Elias kind of looks like a sloppy Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. That's good. He goes, good. He goes, not Greek, anything but Greek. He's like offended. He goes, the name is Appleby, dear girl. They're walking down through the town, and Elias says, I'm sorry you have to carry your own, your own luggage, dear. So they're walking down these very cobbled footsteps in this small, old-ass town. And yeah, Elias is this larger man, and she is carrying all her luggage, like, looking totally tired. Yeah, yeah. And and he's like, he talks about how he's a feminist because he allows... <laughs> He allows women to carry their own luggage and open their own car doors or whatever. I'm like, man, there's just I'm glad people like him kind of, you know, have faded away, you know. Have they? Yeah. No, they they haven't. (laughs) That's the answer. (laughs) Yeah, he does say that. You know, he's pretty much exactly what Corey just said. And then he says he goes. In any case, I'm too old to carry anything. Well, that's probably more to the point of why he doesn't want to carry her luggage. And then Sean says, well, it's quite all right. But then Elias says, what was that, dear girl? If you don't mind walking on the other side of me, I'm a bit deaf. I wear my hearing aid on the right. Now, keep in mind, she's carrying all the luggage, so he makes her move on the other side of him. He doesn't move. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of takes up the whole staircase space in a way. Um, and, And so she moves over to his other side and super loud. She goes, is this any better? And he goes, oh, yes, much better. Thank you. He goes, you know, 
That's the great thing about being married to a Greek woman is she never complains. Or not that I'd understand if she did, you know. She's never learned English and I've never learned Greek. I think too much communication destroys a relationship. And Sean <laughs> says, maybe you're right. And Elias says, I'm always right, dear girl. You, you got to wonder how much of this is Nico, you know, like his voice coming through the character. <laughs> it is interesting because, I mean, this again, guys, it's the 80s and we are not uh, as aware as we are now as far as like having just awareness in general. Yeah. And there's that old school uh, curmudgeonly behavior that, well, like we said, still exists today, but it's maybe not as bad as it used to be in yeah. some respects. Yeah. Cut to a beautiful shot of the side of the Greek mountain. And Sean and Elias have arrived at Elias's home. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Mr. Dookie Flyswatter and the Haunted Mirage! If you took 80s slasher movies and put it in a blender with metal and punk rock, you're gonna get Haunted Garage. Dookie and his crew were almost like making horror movies, horror punk. But the gag is, you're in the splash zone. There was this real fervor at the time about shock rock and how bad it was for the kids. I look over and I see Dookie with his arms on fire. The flashes from the rear end. He got brain surgery live on stage. That was the raw stuff. You walk out of there feeling like you've maybe left the planet for a little while. Their legacy is they were unique. They did things that weren't being done, and they did things that were outside of people's comfort zones. Dukey was always just ahead of his time on that. But it really rocked hard. I mean, he had really good musicians in the band. We didn't want it to be only this deep. We wanted to be this deep. It's Haunted Garage. That's the whole point of taking things too far. He's an icon of the underground exploitational genre. Punk rock god of Hollywood. G.G. Allen, but fun. He's like a friendly vampire. He was L.A.'s Peter Laurie. <laughs> you need somebody in a movie, that's the guy that you want. He puts everything he's got into it. He made his whole life his art. I think that the whole world should know about it. The life and slimes of Dookie Flyswatter and Haunted Garage. Indie Go Go campaign out now. DookieDoc.com. D-U-K-E-Y-D-O-C.com. And now, back to the show. Elias says, here she is, 1,700 years old and still looking marvelous. Half of it is mine. Sean says, I'm impressed, Elias. And he says, you should be, dear girl. I came here during the war, one of the many wars the Greeks have had in the last 40 years. They occupy so much of their time fighting. You know that bloody foreigners like myself can come here and buy the land for a song. When I first saw this place, I almost had an orgasm. And then you cut to Sean's face, and she looks very unamused. <laughs> She's like, oh. I would kind of threw up in my mouth. I did, I did too, man. I was like, nope, nope. Elias says, oh, forgive the expression. It made such a strong impression on me that I promised myself one day I'd own it. Like, okay, that's all you had to say. Yeah, you didn't you didn't need to talk about having an orgasm, but okay. Guys, because if you don't know who uh, Morley is, the actor, he basically looks like uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yep, he does. He looks like, I mean, a very generic, dumpy 
British guy with huge eyebrows in his late 60s, early 70s. He looks exactly like you think he does. <laughs> they start to walk towards the entrance to the villa. Elias wipes sweat off his brow with his handkerchief because probably walking up those stairs almost gave him a freaking heart attack. Yeah. And he says, do you believe in ghosts, dear girl? And Sean says, well, I've never seen one. And Elias says, well, neither have I, but I feel like at times I feel them passing me by. And right as he's saying this, there are these shutters uh, in the window, the top floor of the villa, which is the bedroom window. And they just happen to open right as he's saying this. I almost wondered if that was like rigged or something, but I mean, it is pretty windy. It doesn't feel rigged, I should say, which is nice, no. but it's it feels organic. But at the same time, it feels very perfect, too. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. The, again, the, this this movie has this weird atmosphere of a supernatural movie, yet it's not a supernatural movie. No, totally. And... I like that you just said that because I totally agree with you. I feel like you could easily make this a supernatural film, but you don't need to. And in fact, I kind of like it more that it's not a supernatural film, but that belief of like, well, Mother Nature doesn't like it when you're being naughty. Yeah, no, I mean, and you could also make an argument that it is a supernatural film and that the wind has sentience because there are moments when you think it might, um, but it doesn't ever like it's never portrayed that way. Weirdly, even though I'm, I literally just said it's portrayed as a supernatural movie and the wind is in it. But the wind, weirdly, they don't give the wind personality. But if you take a step back, you can put maybe a personality over it. It's very interesting. This is a very interesting film for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It has really heavy elements of uh, Italian horror, like giallo type thriller elements to it, uh, which I love. And the, like the and also the use of lighting and mm -hmm. sound and all of those things. Yeah. Um, but at its heart, it is like it kind of almost feels like an American thriller as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It very much is the mixture that you think it's going to turn out to be in all the best possible ways that you want it to turn out. Totally, totally. So after Elias again says, you know, I feel these ghosts passing me by and Sean says, I didn't think you'd be a poet. And Elias says, I'm not. I fake it. At heart, I'm just an old cynic. <laughs> Cut to them entering the inside of the villa. Uh, front door of the villa, when you open it, is the living room. Uh, and when they go into the living room, it's trashed. There's pillows everywhere. Uh, just shit on the ground. Elias walks in shocked. And he apologizes for seeing it in such a state of despair. He goes, what a mess, incompetent bastard. He never does what he's told. And then he looks at Sean, the handyman. This is my house, you know. I don't usually rent it to strangers, but I understand you're quite famous. I'm afraid I haven't read your books. The travel agent told me about them. A bit pulpy, eh? And you cut to Sean, <clears throat> who's brawless, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Oh, she's, <laughs> by the way, she's brawless throughout this entire movie. And I ain't complaining whatsoever, except for when she wears the flight suit. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
You mean uh, Wang Chi's flight suit from Big Trouble in Little China? <laughs> yeah, you can go with that, or you can say fucking Ghostbusters flight suit or something. <laughs> True. Yeah, <laughs> that's like two sizes too big. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, and and then Elias says, "Don't be ashamed, dear girl. It's a living. Don't worry about the mess. I'll have that idiot clear it up." So hold on, he is saying. Don't be ashamed that you made your living as as a writer. She as a has, pulpy writer, yeah. She has infinite free time. She can travel to Greece to go write. Like, I wouldn't be ashamed of that. I'd be like, oh, man, I won. <laughs> you lose. Yeah. yeah, he reminds me of every bitter old... He reminds me of every old bitter-ass dude who just didn't get what he wanted in life and made the wrong, quote-unquote, wrong choices in life. Like, come on. just yeah. Just... Don't be a dick, but he is. But he he's is. a dick. He's a dick. And I'm not gonna lie. Maybe he deserved to get killed. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I'm sorry. Not gonna lie. Don't. I don't hate the fact that he got killed. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Even better. So yes, he's calling um, their his handyman an idiot, and he says, "I'll have him clear it up." And he goes, "Oh, meanwhile, I better start the generator." Uh, there's an entrance downstairs. Okay. So this this is a. It's a very confusing layout to describe, and I'll do my best throughout this, and Corey will help me as well. But um, the the main floor uh, to the villa, there's a staircase that goes up to the main where the living room is. Then there's a staircase that goes down into the kitchen. The, yeah. But midway through going down to the kitchen, there's like a mid-level where there's like a trap door that leads into like a uh, the, the generator room. Yeah, I— yeah, that that sounds right. I do like there's how you're a bathroom like, in there too somewhere somewhere, and I and I do love how you're like, oh, Corey can help me out with this. And I I think back and I'm like, yeah, I know that there's a scene later on where I thought they were in maybe Wings's house, but I think they're in her house, and me I don't too. think I can, and I don't think I can help you at all with the layout of this thing whatsoever because well, I couldn't figure it out. But yeah, it's definitely interesting, and there is it seems like the kitchen is the furthest thing in the basement, even though there's a trap door for the generator on the mid-level? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, if you've ever been to the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, yeah. this beats that house. Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so Elias says, there's an entrance downstairs through the house, but I'm afraid I don't fit. I shall have to go in through the back door, which is outside. Elias leaves, and you cut to the exterior of the villa, kind of looking at the villa from an outsider's perspective. Suddenly the generator fires up, cut back to Sean with her big biceps tidying up the (laughs) living room. Elias comes in and says, the archeological society is very strict about this town, keeping it as is no electrical lights allowed. Sean says, apparently no people either. And Sean says, what was that dear girl? Don't mumble. You're on the wrong side. She smiles and says, this place is like a ghost town. Where is everybody? And Elias says, oh, spending their money. You may find it very difficult to believe. We get an awful lot of tourists here in the summer. The merchants make a fortune. Then they go to Switzerland. They come back and work like dogs. Bloody peasants, the lot of them. Sean asks if Elias lives here. Then he says, I prefer the city life. I shall be driving back there tomorrow once I've looked after you. And Sean says, you've taken more than enough of your time with me, Mr. Appleby. I can explore the rest of the house myself. Elias says, well, if you want anything, my number is in the little book by the telephone. I should be spending the night in the village. I don't care for driving after dark. 
And then you cut to Sean looking at a picture of a beautiful Greek kind of princess-ish princess woman uh, on the mantle. Yeah, and she's very beautiful too. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of pictures uh, on the mantle next to the phone. Uh, there's a fireplace there as well. And they're all of the same woman. Elias says, that's my wife. She was an actress. Would you like me to take those down? And she goes, no, no. She'll keep me company. Elias starts to walk out of the villa with Sean following. Once they're outside, Sean says, you know, thank you for letting me use your home. And Elias says, thank me? Whatever for? I'm charging you a pretty penny, dear girl. He stops and he looks at her very seriously and he says, oh, remember the wind? And Sean says, oh, I'm used to it. I lived in Chicago. (laughs) And Elias says, this is not Chicago. This wind can be very dangerous at this time of year. It could be strong enough to kill a young buck or gentle enough to caress a beautiful young lady like yourself. It could be your friend or your enemy. So don't go roaming around at night. Stay inside. If you decide to go snooping around, and I'm sure you will, remember, the locked closets don't contain anything valuable. Just a few personal belongings. My son's hunting weapons. Wink, wink, nudge, wink. nudge. <laughs> Foreshadow. My, my son's insanely large shotgun. Yeah. If we weren't in such a fucked society right now with guns, I would be like, oh my God, this gun is awesome. I oh, it's, and by the way, like, the, the shotgun that it is, the spas or whatever, it is my favorite shotgun. I love it. I've always loved the aesthetic of it. Yeah. But it is a lot of weapon for for this little town right here. It is a lot of weapon, and too bad Sean uses it the way she does. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Oh, man. Elias then says, I hope I haven't been too much of a pain in the derriere, dear girl. And you don't mind me calling you dear girl. And, and it was so weird because he he says it exactly the same both times. Like yes, like it's, exactly it's like Zach just said it. He's like, it's interesting. It's very weird. Yeah, it's it's weird. And then Sean says, no, you haven't been too much of a pain, Mr. Appleby. She shakes his hand and there's a close-up shot of their hands. So you can see his ring. You can see the ring on his finger, which is very important. For later, yep. And, and as they're shaking hands, she says, and yes, I do mind you calling me dear girl. Elias says, well, it's too late now. <laughs> I know. He's like, fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> and he dips. And she, yeah, says, and she says, silly old goat. <laughs> yeah, she calls him a silly old goat and he walks off. Now, I got to say, uh, as someone who's been to uh, the Swiss Alps, um, I would go vacation there every summer as well. It is one of the most amazing places I've ever been. Uh, you can Google uh, Murin, M-U-R-A-N, and that's where I stayed. Uh, it was unbelievable. It's a picture of Corey. Yeah, it's just me standing there. <laughs> but, hi, yeah, hi guys, and and it was it's basically right near Shiltorn, and you would know Shiltorn as the one James Bond movie with uh, Lazenby. Remember, he goes skiing, and there's that like rotating um, uh, building on top of the Alps, and it's the only James Bond movie with George Lazenby, and uh, that 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 
place, that restaurant at on top of the Alps is is Schiltorn. I actually visited that, and it's a beautiful like restaurant. It kind of rotates, so you can it it's moves slowly, so you can kind of see everything. But of course, they had you know posters for whichever one the Lazenby uh, uh, James Bond was. I, I can't remember Casino Royale. Or- no, no, <laughs> no. Well, I don't know. I don't know what because I wasn't that a remake or something. The Casino Royale yeah, sort of remake. I it was. Yeah. Um, anyways, guys and gals, I'm not the biggest James Bond fan, but I do know Lazenby was the like he was a one one timer, you know. But anyways, want to know uh, how many want to know how many Bond movies I've seen? Zero. Probably three all the way through. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think either of us are huge uh, Bond fans. I've seen them all at least once. But anyways, look up Murin, look up Shiltorn. I visited it. It's beautiful. Highly recommended if anyone ever gets a chance to go to Switzerland. Is pussy galore there? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reference to a movie, guys. Okay. Uh, from there, you cut to Sean in her bedroom unpacking. And she looks out the window while she's unpacking and she sees a dude <laughs> kind of like on the, um, uh, the, in the, in the, in the courtyard of the villa and it's Phil, AKA Wingshauser and kind of like leaning against the wall, looking up at her with a big old smile on his face. He's probably like 50 feet to a hundred feet away. He's pretty yeah, far back. You don't, yeah. You don't really get a good shot of him right here. No, but you can kind of tell he's smiling at her. Yeah cuts back to her turning towards a bed unpacking and she's humming to herself you hear the sound of shutters a sound you're going to hear a lot in this movie yes she walks back to the window and phil is now gone cut back to sean unpacking a very ugly sport coat like a very ugly 80s sport coat welcome to the 80s yes from there cut to Greek music playing, beautiful shot of the villa, the countryside, and then you cut back to Sean in her bedroom, now fully unpacked, wearing an entirely new outfit, a yeah. ugly-ass big white shirt. An entirely new outfit with an ugly-ass big white shirt that looks like it should have been a nightgown. It It's like a button-down shirt that goes to like mid-thigh on her, but she's wearing it as like a normal shirt. And like every outfit in this movie, she's she's brawless. And you know what? <laughs> uh, it's it's ugly. I hate it. And it also could be a bit more sheer for me because it is not see through enough, uh, in my opinion. Of course. <laughs> she. But from this scene, it's pretty cool because there's like a cool tracking shot that shows that shows her walking from the bedroom into the living room, and she puts her typewriter over by a small table in the living room that looks out to the window. There's a bunch of books on there, and she, it's all cluttered up, and she's kind of cleaning everything up. Uh, she walks out to her balcony to take in the cool breeze of the Greek, uh, the Greek villa and the ocean. She looks down at the water where you see the waves breaking against the rocks. I mean, it's it's blue as hell. It's it's beautiful. It's insane. Like, yeah, yeah. I would have an orgasm too if I owned that place, and that was my view from like the fucking back deck or whatever the hell it is my only thing is man with all those windows open in the wind that place has to be so standy and dusty everywhere yeah super so the the wind's constantly blowing and it looks like fog but i think it's actually sand i think it's sand and i because you know obviously 
how do you portray wind? Like if you can't, if there's nothing in it, you can't see it. And there's stuff later on where they clearly have to use a fog machine to blow the wind because you have to be able to see it. So there's all these visual cues that it gives you. Um, but me personally, I've always loved wind in movies. Uh, I always think it adds an awesome bit of ominous, like atmosphere to a film. So yeah. to see like a movie that's entirely about the wind, I think it's, I, I was already like excited when I was like, Oh, it actually is about wind. Okay, cool. Yeah. And they do all the wind stuff very well in this movie. It's never overutilized. It's never underutilized. It's, a perfect amount of wind for a yeah. movie called The Wind. And unfortunately, it's probably too much wind for Meg Foster because her eyes are so bloodshot later, probably from the wind constantly getting in her eyes. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that this was not the most comfortable endeavor for the actors. No, agreed. Especially when you probably, you know, as as Wings and Meg Foster are running around with their eyes, you know, unencumbered, you probably could spin the camera around and see everybody behind the camera was probably wearing goggles. Goggles and masks. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Sean has a cup of coffee. She goes over to the phone to make a phone call. She calls John. John picks up. John with He's his in- terrible, like... Little boy haircut. It's it's grotesque. <laughs> little boy haircut. You heard it here for you heard it here first, folks. His little boy haircut. J- little John with his terrible chin and his little boy haircut. Man, I am not kind to him at all. <laughs> Clearly you are not a fan of Man from Uncle. No, you are, but he he probably looked more chiseled back then. Yeah. He's forty two. I know. Loud. I know. You and <laughs> We're I older than, Yeah. You and I are both older than him, and arguably, I mean, we all know you're you're the better looking guy, but arguably, <laughs> we're both better looking than he is right now. I'm gonna agree but, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the first time for the first time in forever. Okay, so uh, yeah, so they're having like a little back and forth banter. He's asking about the neighbors. She says, "No, it's just little old me," and. Uh, he's like, how are you going to kill time between chapters? And she says, I guess I'll, I'll just talk my, talk to myself as usual, which she does in this movie. And <laughs> yes, yes. A lot. Oh, she does a lot. But you know what? I, I don't hate it all the time. I'll sh- I should say. What was the movie we just talked about? We broke down recently where the person was talking to themselves a shit ton and we're like, Oh this- fuck. What was that? I know what you're, yeah, I know. My, my brain's focused on the wind right now. I, Anyways, but yeah, I, I know yeah. what you're talking about. We were like, huh. <laughs> yeah, don't talk to yourself. This is act, this actually tracks. This kind of makes oh, sense. Yeah, because she's a writer. So it, honestly, it works for me. Yeah, agreed. Um, they're, yeah, they're having a little back, back and forth. John says, I can come visit you. And she's like, no, let's give it some time. And I'm like, oh, my God, you and your free spirit attitude. This, this dude's into you. Uh, you know, he's pretty much got everything you want. You love kissing his baby chin so just go for it but she's only gone for like a long weekend like i I would get it if she was gone for like a month or like a few weeks or something but it's like bro she'll be back soon you know you didn't even want to have sex with her last night yeah what is he whipped over who knows Uh um anyways suddenly there the phone cuts out and uh the wind starts picking up around the villa causing everything to creak and howl. And she looks pretty creeped out by it. Yeah. And that's when I I noted, it's like, this kind of feels like a supernatural movie, even though it isn't a supernatural movie. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, 
She's at the typewriter now writing her story. Suddenly there's a knock at the front door and she says, come in, but no one comes in. She goes to the door, opens it up and out front, there's no one there, but a lot of wind moving around and sand and a couple bags of groceries. It's like a Grubhub. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Pretty much. So, and then she's like, that's weird. And I'm like, why is that weird? Someone just dropped a bunch of groceries off for you. It's kind of cool. Uh, It gets even weirder when she looks, she peeks around the corner and sees fucking Wings (laughs) Hauser doing a weird skip walk thingy away but you're only catching like the last two steps of it it's really it's great i love it it's I know. so weird it's so and I'm, weird i actually rewound it a couple times i'm like this is really entertaining yeah she goes to kind of see where the person was to drop the bags off and yeah she sees little wings frolicking away <laughs> he's frolicking of wings he's that's, totally frolicking yeah it's a good that's a good way to put it she follows the frolicking man down the pathway which appears to lead under the villa and creepy music kind of cuts in and she walks past what looks like a guest house. It's maybe where the handyman stays. Spoiler, it is where the handyman stays. <laughs> she calls out hello, but she doesn't hear anything. No response back. She walks back into her villa, takes the groceries into her kitchen. When she gets in the kitchen, the door that leads out of the villa bursts open. And in walks Phil. And we get our first shot of take Wingshauser and put him on a pedestal so, so high. (laughs) With his glorious mustache. Dude, I'm telling you, right when he popped in, my heart skipped a beat. I was like, oh boy, he looks fantastic. He, I gotta say, I, I think the, the, the Greek countryside did him well. He, he looks, he looks, he looks good. He looks great with the mustache and like the little bit of stubble and like that the hair is like at a perfect length. Visually, this is my favorite wings right here. Me too. Yeah, I think so too. He's hunky dude. He's hunky. So uh, she says, God, you scared me. And he says, like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I just brought your supplies. He's like kind of chewing gum with this smile on his face. And he's looking kind of, he's just looking really jovial. Yeah. And she asked for his name. She goes, Mr. And he goes, Phil. And then he says, I mean, not Mr. Phil, just Phil. And he looks around the kitchen. It's a mess. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about the mess. And she starts cleaning. He starts cleaning it up. And she's like, oh, I can clean that up. And he goes, okay, <laughs> it's no big deal or whatever. And he's like, I can do it. It's in, uh, and then he walks over, he walks back to the door that he came in and he closes it, turns around, has a big smile on his face while he's again, chewing that gum. He walks right up to her. He grabs the groceries that are in front of her and he, wa- he brings the groceries over to the sink and starts to unpack them at least just like move them around he's not even unpacking them no, no. and in the process he like accidentally knocks over a bottle i think yeah. it breaks too yeah he's he's doing actor business he's not actually doing anything real he's just doing actor business yes and sean tries to do her nice business by asking him about himself asking him about himself she says, Mr. Appleby tells me you're an American. And Phil says, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
And she says, where are you from? And he says, oh, well, I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in Las Vegas, screwed up my life. I went to Gay Paris. Then I went to Nicaragua, Middle East. And so now you can call me a bum or a citizen of the world. Sean says, oh, interesting life. And Phil says, depends on how you look at it. And Sean says, well, I, I see it as a writer. And she introduces herself. And I love how he's like, yeah, I don't know who you are, but I'm happy you're here. And I'm like, that's such a backhanded compliment thing or yeah. something. Yeah, he says, I never heard of you, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and even she's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then Sean says, I didn't see the, I didn't expect to see any Americans around here this time of year. And Phil says, oh, don't let that bother you. Like Appleby says, I'm a loser and an absolute zero. Like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? But sure. And Sean says, well, Mr. Appleby's a lovely old gentleman, but he's a little pompous. He likes to put people down. And Phil says, yeah, he do that to you? And she says, yeah, he kept calling me dear girl. <laughs> and Phil says, well, he's called me worse. And then she says, well, that's because you work for him. I'm a paying guest. Yeah. And then Phil kind of like looks around and he does this like kind of snapping thing where he's just like, okay. Yeah. So, so I, I actually noted that I used to do that a lot in high school and I, I forgot that I used to do it. So when I saw him do it, I did it and I'm not going to lie to you. It felt good. It was like muscle memory. I was like, Oh, I haven't done this in forever. It's kind of like whenever I have a, a Zippo, I learned because of the movie out of sight with George Clooney, I learned how to flick the, the Zippo open and then kind of do it on your leg to kind of turn it on. But I, it took me forever to learn it, but now that I know how to flip a zippo open, it's just mes- muscle memory, and I can just sort of do it like whenever. But yeah. dude, seeing him do that that clap thingy, that yeah, I dude, I used to do that fucking all the time, man. <laughs> love that shit. <laughs> I just I love it. It's like a little quirky thing, but it's it's just funny to yeah. see him do it. Mm-hmm. And, and when he after he does that, he gets up to start walking off. He starts to like shuffle off, and then Sean says she's working on her book. And Phil says, romance. And Sean says, please, I'm into mystery, murder. And then you cut to Phil at the door about to leave. And he turns and looks at her and says, so am I. And Sean has a smile on her face. And she says, what's your favorite weapon? And Phil says, M16s. (laughs) And Sean says, I never use them. I use Uzis. They're exotic. Yeah, which is cool because... Like Uzis were big back in the fucking eighties, man. They and were. it's like and 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 it's it goes back to um uh Night of the Comet when, you know, like dad mom would, would have bought us Uzis or whatever, you know, dad would oh, have yeah. got us Uzis, yeah. It's like yeah, dude, totally. fucking Uzis were huge back in the eighties, dude. Uzis in the eighties, yeah. And then Phil says, Well, death's a whole lot different on paper. And Sean says, Oh, it's easier. I've killed off a couple hundred people so far. And Phil says, Oh, that's not bad. <laughs> And he says, look, if you need any technical advice on death, just give me a holler. I'm right next door. She walks. He walks out the door and slams it. Sean takes an apple, bites into it. She says, bye, and walks off. And so here's my backstory for him. I think he was kind of like a mercenary for a while, but I'm not talking like high level. Like, like I'm literally talking, he was probably like a Cobra grunt, you know, like just low level guy eventually just probably, you know, just didn't jive with him and he got out. And I don't mean it probably didn't jive with him morality wise. I think he didn't jive with him because of he wanted to, he's just too crazy. But like, I, I think he was a mercenary at one point, but 
low-level mercenary. I don't think it was like a, a big-time type of thing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. And um, he's complex. You know that there's something going on. And just by that that two-minute scene, he gives so much like impact when he's on screen. Yeah, and this is my favorite scene with the two of them. I think it's they have great chemistry together, weirdly. <laughs> you know, like you almost want to see them in a different movie because they're Meg Foster and, and Wings House are actually really good together. Um but at the same time I just I just like this scene a lot. I I don't hate Phil. Like even at the to the end of the movie, like maybe it's because I love Wings Hauser, but I never like hate Phil or anything. I just I don't know. But I like this scene a lot. And as you're talking, it was got me thinking a little bit too. She's not necessarily flirting with Phil in this scene, but she does have a chemistry with every man that's on screen, just to give off this vibe that she's like this desirable person. I mean, there's even a shot earlier where she's talking to Elias and she like bites her lower lip. And I was like, what? Like, like a sort of a sultry type of thing. So, yeah, I think she just is just dripping with sex, basically. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. She just reminds me of some people from my past that I'm not a huge fan of. So there you go. <clears throat> uh, let your mind wander, dear girl. Cut to the nighttime now. The wind's howling outside of the villa, and Sean's sitting at her table trying to write something on uh, on paper. And you cut back to the exterior of the villa with waves crashing against rocks and a shot that pans up onto the villa with the wind howling uh, and as dramatic music plays. It's beautiful. It's so, again, the way it's shot, it's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of shots like this in the movie where... I don't I can't explain it so you have to see it but it doesn't have the same sort of American thriller directing to it which is what I love about this movie it has this European sensibility uh, Zach keeps you know referring to like it has like a giallo sensibility to it but yet it's not I don't say I wouldn't say a giallo film but it has yeah. this interesting taste so like a lot of times you'll see like the outside shot, it isn't stationary. It'll kind of like zoom in and have like some kind of music playing. It's very, the only way I can put it, it's so atmospheric. And and what could be easily be boring shots are made very interesting in this film. Agreed. Agreed. Um, her narration of her story is not interesting in this scene, so I will omit it. Yeah. However, I will describe what's about to happen. So she's typing away at her story or writing away at her story and uh, narrating it. You hear her narrating. But as she's doing this, you cut to the guest house where, or yeah, the guest house where Phil lives and Phil's saying, you can't do this to me. And it cuts back to Sean in her, her villa. It's like back and forth shots. Yeah, it's it's a there's a juxtaposition happening between what she's typing and writing is and then we seen what what Phil is doing to Elias. It's happening at the same time. Yeah, so so Elias is at Phil's guest house and he's calling Phil an idiot, a zero, an incompetent, and Phil says, you know, don't you understand? I got no place left to go. And Appleby says, Get out of here. And Phil says it's like you're killing me, old man. And Appleby says, get out of here before I call the police. And again, back and forth shots of 
like Sean typing now at her typewriter as Applebee's speaking, spits coming out of his mouth disgustingly. And then suddenly there's a shot of Phil holding a um, a poker for the fireplace, like a rod, right? It, it's called a fire poker. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a poker for the fireplace. It's a poker rod thing <laughs> you got there. God damn it. And so suddenly Phil, as Sean is typing, takes the rod and hits Applebee in the side of the neck and kills Applebee. Hits him in the head, falls down. Uh, there's a shot of blood dripping from the, the, the poker. Yeah, and it's cool because, like, it's the the what she, the scene that she's typing you know the 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 villain whoever is doing the killing is also using a, a poker so it's like everything's exactly the same except she's not referring to what's happening but it's a it's awesome editing it's very good editing it's 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 juxtaposition like back and forth back and forth type of thing i i like this this scene a lot yeah it's great it's great and the the look on wingshauser's face after this happens is very menacing too Sean gets up from her typewriter to check the windows because the shutters are opening and closing. Cut back to Phil leaving his house, shaking and breathing heavily. Cut back to Sean now in her bed, putting lotion on her legs. So, so this a lot lotion, of lotion on her legs. Yeah. So this scene, <laughs> Myra, Myra was revolted by how much lotion Meg Foster was putting on her leg. And I was disgusted because they had to foley it. Like you could hear the, you know, the, the slopping of the fucking lotion. And I, by the way, I hate lotion. It gives me the same feeling as as like fingernails on a on a chalkboard is gives me the same feeling as lotion like on my hand i i fucking hate it so like literally watching the scene disgusted me but at the same time revolted my wife as well because she was like that's too much lotion that is way too much lotion well but, you know I, I will say upon watching it for a second time i think it might actually be the proper amount of lotion because all that wind is going to dry your skin out for sure I'm okay with the amount of lotion she puts on her legs. I don't know if I'm okay with the fact that she's has she's fully made up uh, after she maybe just got out of the shower. Like she, her hair's done up, she's got makeup on. Yeah, and I'm true, like, true. come on, can we be a little real here, just a little bit? Touche. At least put her hair up in like you know the towel or something. You know, in a towel. Yeah, we're yeah. all like you know, <laughs> yeah. dripping and shit. Because who she got to dress up for? Phil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from there, she she hears a digging sound outside of, of her window. Suddenly, she's now fully clothed, wearing, well, Corey, describe what she's wearing. She is literally wearing a Top Gun jumpsuit, a fucking, like, flight suit. It is grotesque and ugly. I hate it because I was like, oh, the whole time, you know, earlier she was, like, wearing so much... Somebody like sort of revealing or whatever. And then she's wearing this. And then she puts on a giant, ugly red jacket on top of it. It is literally the ugliest outfit we have ever seen on podcasting after dark. 
Agreed. She looks like Shang, uh, she looks like uh, Wang Chi from Big, Big Trouble in Little China, in my opinion. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, she walks over to the window with her flight suit on, and she looks out the window, and she sees Phil shoveling something, and then Phil looks out and over at the villa, and the only light that's on at the villa is the one in. Sean's room where she, and she's looking out the window. <clears throat> she backs out of the window really quickly and then she says brilliant move dummy. And then but then she kind of like realizes she goes as if he could see you. Well, he probably could. He actually could see you. Oh, you, he totally could. Yeah, you and because we could see her from that shot earlier. But I don't think he did. No. Because no, I don't think he, he did he, either at this point cuz yeah. he was still because now they cut back to him, and he's sort of still looking down, and then he looks up, you know? Yeah. Very yeah, maniacally, and I love this shot of him because he's like, he, yeah, he he's, looks crazy. He's got crazy eyes, and, and it's great. But I am with you. I don't think, as of this second, I don't think he knows that she knows. No, no, she doesn't. And suddenly you cut back to Sean, and she's putting on her, that famous red trench coat that Corey mentioned. And she says to herself, yep, you're right, John, I am nosy. And she's got a flashlight with her, and she's leaving the villa at night after she was told not to go out at night. And as far as, like, talking to yourself goes, I like that little piece of dialogue because he did, they did reference it earlier that she was nosy, and I like that she's calling it back now. Yeah, and she did talk about how she talks to herself. Mm -hmm. So that all makes sense. It all works for me. She goes outside, and she goes, you weren't kidding, Elias. This sure... This sure is in Chicago. She walks down the stairs. And and real quick, I just want to call out, like, we can't sort of do it justice how much the wind is, like, oppressive in this movie. So, like, when she does open the door, it, like, slams her against it. You can tell a lot of times that it's not the actors acting. They're using high-powered wind, and they're getting tossed around. We can't really do a good job of expressing how, yeah, how much it moves them around in in this movie. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Yes, so she's, like, struggling to go down the stairs of her villa with the flashlight into the courtyard to see what Phil was doing. There's fog everywhere, sand, wind is blowing like crazy. The music that's playing is very eerie. She walks over to the part of the, the, the courtyard where Phil was digging, looks in the dirt, but then a scarecrow falls on top of her, knocking her to the ground. It's a pretty freaky-looking scarecrow, by the way. Freaky-looking scarecrow. Fortunately, not the Jeepers Creepers pedophile <laughs> scarecrow. Uh, she freaks out. She rolls over into, into the dirt and grabs a hand that's sticking out of the dirt. Probably belonging to Appleby because it has a ring, the same ring that he had on his finger attached to the hand. Yeah, yeah, which is why we know they showed that shot earlier. So, yeah, we know it's him. She runs back to her villa to go to the front door, but it closes on her, and now she's locked outside. She runs down to the bottom floor, like the generator room, I'm assuming. And again, a lot of this is assumption, and if you guys haven't seen this movie, you'll know what I mean by when I say that you can't really tell where one room is over the other at times. At sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I clearly know where this is. Other times you're like, wait, what room is this? And how'd they get there? Or or whose house is this? Is this, is this 
Elias's house or is it the handyman's house, Phil's house? Yeah, yeah. it ultimately it, it doesn't hold you back at all. No. But but it becomes apparent when you're trying to break down the movie and track it to the minute detail that we do here on podcasting after dark. Because I'm the same as you. I was like, oh, I, I track something as being I thought a different house, and then I was like, oh wait, I think they're in her house. But again, it doesn't hold anything back. It, it doesn't. It's not to the detriment of the film, I should say. Well, ultimately, I think. While it might not have been intentional, ultimately I thought it added to the movie because it's disorienting and it's somewhat of a labyrinth. Because it also kind of puts us in her shoes um, because she's unfamiliar with the area and everything. So you know what? Good point. If anything, it adds to the atmosphere of the film. Thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> she uh, finds this one window that's open. The shutters are open, and but the window itself is closed. It's glass. She goes over to pick up a giant rock to smash the window. And as she grabs the rock, a hand out of, comes out of nowhere and grabs her wrist. It's Phil, and he's got a key in his hand. And he says, you looking for this? And she says, thank you. I got locked out. And Phil says, you should stay inside. It's not safe out here. She nods and she walks away. And the, the camera stays on Phil. And Phil's looking at her lovingly with his kind of his tongue sticking out through his teeth a little bit. You yeah. Know, when, when you're like into something, into somebody. Yeah. Cut to her in her home by the fireplace. She's smoking a cigarette, trying to calm herself down, saying, stay calm, damn it. Stay calm. She throws her cigarette in her coffee cup. She fucking sinks it, man. She fucking, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was like, that's an impressive uh, accuracy right there. Because she sinks her cigarette from like a few feet away. She flicks it and it lands into a little coffee cup. Now, granted, it's a cut. She didn't do that. But I was like, it sets it up as she's, you know, Sean's a pretty impressive cigarette flicker. Hey, I smoke cigarettes and, uh, you know, I'm attracted to every guy that it comes into contact with. <laughs> Even Elias. I want that wang. <laughs> so she says to herself, call Elias. No, Sean, he's dead. Then she says he had a wife. Cut to the picture of the one of the many photos of his wife on the mantle. You know what? I'll say this. As much as Elias was a piece of shit, at least he loved his wife. True. True. And she picks up the phone. Calls a number, woman answers, speaking Greek. Sean's trying to talk to her, but the woman does not understand anything she's saying. Um, and she says, is this Mrs. Appleby? And she goes, uh, I'm, I'm the American. I'm staying at your house. Uh, Mr. Appleby, she pauses, I, I, th I think he's dead. And, and we do hear like his wife saying stuff in Greek and everything. Yeah. And yeah, she's not. And I was like, damn, you're just going to tell her over the phone that, that her husband's dead? Yeah, pretty much. Cut back to the exterior where Phil was digging, and Appleby's hand is sticking out of the ground with the ring finger on it. And you see a pair of white high tops uh, connected to a pair of pants. Uh, acid wash jeans and the camera pans up slowly and it's Phil looking at the hand in the ground now looking up at the window where Sean is in the living room and I love this shot of him because he looks so menacing looking yeah agreed agreed cut to Sean locking up the whole villa 
Yeah, we have kind of like a sort of a few shot montage of of her closing all the shutters. Yeah, shutters and locking the doors and whatnot. Suddenly her phone rings in the living room. She answers it. It's John. John's chilling in home by his pool in L.A. And then this his... is when I think he, I noted he was reading, like, it looked like he was reading a script. So I was like, you know what? He's probably like a producer or something. And whatever house they shot this in in L.A. is beautiful. It's oh, like an A-frame home. It's just sick. I'm like, wherever this is in the Hollywood Hills, like, I would love to see what it looks like now. Yeah, and it is most definitely the Hollywood Hills. You can tell. Yeah, and mi- meanwhile, John has this sweet yellow mobile phone. <laughs> yeah, I noticed it's that. It's <laughs> really cool. Um, and it, it's like the the Sony Walkman when they went all yellow, the yeah. Discman and whatnot. Yeah. It's like, it looks like that, but it's a phone. John says, I've been trying to call you for three hours. And Sean says, don't talk, just listen. And John says, this is a terrible connection. Can you talk louder? And Sean starts, Sean starts shouting. She goes, a man was murdered here. And John says, have you called the police? And Sean says, I don't know how to call the police or even the operator. You got to help me, John. And then John basically agrees to help her. And I, I'm not going to lie. I, I like that there wasn't much pushback on John's end. You know, like, oh, I don't really believe you, thus leaving her like on her own. He pretty much immediately believes her. He jumps in action. It's just that there's not much he can really do on his end. Keep in mind, this is like, you know, way before internet, way before you could like Google something. So he has to like start like researching and figuring out like how to contact the police. And even later, they're even like, why didn't you just call us yourself? You know, but I I find all of this interesting because I think it's very much a product of the time, you know, but I also do love the fact that John just immediately like he's like, okay, I'm I'm on your side. I like that. He's not like a dick. And he's like, oh, you're just being a silly woman. Like, that's something I would expect from a movie like this, you know, and also but what happens is something I don't expect, which is him to actually be on her side immediately. Yeah, because because honestly, in movies like this, they'd say, oh, it's your imagination getting the best of you, which she kind of gets a little bit later. But but not from her boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, Railsback goes into that a little bit, but he even comes around. So I yeah, actually, I kind of like the guys in this movie. Yeah, me too. Uh, Yeah. The phone cuts out on them. And that's when uh, John calls the operator to make an urgent call to Greece. But the operator's like, if you don't know the code, then I can't help you. Uh, And then he says, this is an emergency if you can't find the operator, would you call the local police chief? Cut back to Sean smoking a cigarette in her flight outfit in her living room <laughs> of the villa, uh, sitting down, trying to relax, listening to some sweet, cool 80s tunes on her little Walkman and speakers. I, I noticed that. And she's like, I'm going to unwind from this, you know, potential homicide that I witnessed by listening to these these sweet sounds while I also read over the pages that I've written. Exactly. And she's like got her legs kicked up, uh, extended on on, on the table with her white Reebok shoes or wherever the hell they are. Suddenly there's a knock at the door and someone's trying to open the front door, jiggle the lock. And she doesn't turn the music off. She just goes back to reading her story that she's written. And suddenly she hears chimes at the back door of the villa in the kitchen area. She runs down to the kitchen and who walks in? Still scaring the crap out of her. Uh, It's Phil. He says he's sorry. He says, well, look, I just came by to tell you the phone lines are down. 
Happens all the time. It's the wind. Know what I mean? They'll probably be down all night. Oh, and uh, the lights go out too. So you just lock the doors after I leave and and don't worry because I'll be around. And he smiles at her and he leaves. (laughs) Sean looks scared and pissed. And at this point, you're like, why did he give her the keys? Like, why doesn't he just kill her now, you know? And Sean will get into that in the next scene. But I will say, we, we didn't really mention it earlier, but when he goes in and out earlier that he was, that Wings was there introducing himself to her in that scene that we talked about we liked, you know, there was that chimes that the door made whenever he went in and out of it. You could hear it. So in this scene right here, when you hear the chimes go off, even my heart skipped a beat because I was like, oh, my God, he's in the house, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's almost it's like a red herring because he's not attacking her right now. Um, but I don't really understand why not because for him soon it turns very quickly where he goes to grab the sickle to come back. But right now he had the opportunity to kill her. Yeah, I believe he's deranged and and I think he's also kind of – Assessing the situation, he tells her on the phone kind of what he wants to yeah. do. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I think he's deranged. He's a deranged guy. And, what and, do you say? And any questions or pushbacks that I have uh, for the movie, you know, it's just because we, we break this thing down by, you know, minutely. Um, is that the right word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so, but, yeah. but for the most part, like, these things don't bother me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I have so much, I had so much fun watching this movie both times. Totally, totally. It, it, these are good questions to ask, though, especially there's like not too many continuity issues, too. But when these things do come up, we'll call it out. But is it really a continuity issue? Because literally you're going to talk about it right now. The next scene, she asks the same questions we are asking and I like that. I like that the movie itself is also like, you know what? We're not sure either about this character. We don't know. True. We don't know where Phil is going to go. I, I feel like I feel like even the writer doesn't even know where Phil's going to go at this point. Yeah, agreed. Which agreed. makes Phil scarier to me. <laughs> agreed. Yeah, you cut back to Sean, and she's now in her bedroom putting on a whole new outfit. Mm-hmm. And saying, wait a Thank minute. Thank fucking talk- God. She's talking to herself. She says, wait a minute. If the guy is a killer... Why would he walk into the house and leave? I'm probably wrong. And then she says, unless, unless you want me to wait until I get into bed and you just quietly sneak into my room. And now, wait, why would you want to wait? He's probably innocent. Or he doesn't know what I know. Or he does know what I know. And then he just wants to take his time and enjoy it. Oh, shit. Ah, Calm down, Anderson. Don't over-dramatize it. But he did say the lights could go out, too. How? How could the lights go out? And the camera pans up close to her face, and she takes a deep breath, and she says, Oh, shit. The generator. I like that, by the way. When she has that realization, you have that realization, too. Cut to Sean now in her kitchen, chopping up candles and making, like, candle holders, I guess, to keep lights going on. She then continues to talk to herself, saying... Sterling man, the hour that never was. The camera cuts back to Phil's house in his living room, panning across the table. Camera tracks camera tracks through Phil's home. It's like a POV s- shot from Phil's point of view. Yeah, from Phil's point of view. While you hear heavy breathing, the camera goes up the stairs into his bedroom. And on his bed, there's a bunch of clothes, including um, 
uh, a pair of white Reebok shoes. That's important because he's got two pairs of these white high tops. And the clothes all get shoved off the bed to reveal a very shiny sickle. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. Every good movie killer's got to have a weapon. Well, it's, again, this is like, you know, your Giallo-type films, uh, you know, that, that, that we all love. Just have that, like, trademark shiny weapon. Hell yeah. Suddenly, this camera cuts back to Sean in her villa with a candle in her hand in the kitchen walking back upstairs. She's about to go into the generator room, cut back to Phil, now outside of her home with a sickle in his hand, approaching the generator room from the outside. So basically now you're getting this scene where they're both going to the same place from two different directions. Who's going to get there first? Sean gets there first, and he's on the outside, and they kind of meet in the same place. She goes to lock the back door, but he breaks the glass and gets in. In this cool kind of slow motion effect, too. Yeah, and this scene is so fucking... I love the the editing and everything because, yeah, they're both coming down to the same place and it's that... It's that post-production slow-mo, so it's kind of got that that dreamlike effect, which I normally hate. I normally hate post-production slow-mo, but here it really, really works, and there's some great editing as they're both meeting down there. She locks it, jumps back, he breaks the window, and this is when you really see that, like, giallo sensibility in the editing and the music and the way it looks and everything and it's just it's such a powerful scene i think it's fantastic and then she runs back upstairs and and slams the 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 little trap door shut but yeah dude this scene was so well blocked out and and edited i think the scene i think the scene came together in the editing room yeah i agree um, what I love about it too is, is this, this style that they use in this scene happens more than once in the movie to kind of give it a dreamlike quality. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I agree. And I think that's like the Giallo aspect of it. If it has this dreamlike quality to it. Yeah. So Phil runs after Sean again, th- there's two entrances to this generator room. There's the back door that leads to the outside of the villa that he came through that that he came through. And then there's this top kind of trap door that leads into the the main room that Sean entered from. If that makes sense. Yeah. She gets through the trap door, closes it. Phil shoves his sickle through the the door, creating little holes, freaking her the fuck out. Yeah, uh, she's she's freaking out. She struggles. She runs into the kitchen and grabs what appears to be like cooking oil or something. OK, good uh, call. I was I thought it was like lighter fluid for the candles or something. But yeah, you probably it's like cooking oil. It's it's something. It's something. Yeah, it's, it's something sort of you don't want to get in your eyes. Yes, because this, this is the first scene of many where I'm like, oh, this is like an adult version of Home Alone because she sprays the liquid through the holes it, that Phil has made with his sickle and sprays it all over Phil's eyes, causing him to be kind of like temporarily blinded. And I never would have thought to do that. (laughs) It's smart. Yeah, Yeah. it's very smart. Uh, And so, yeah, she sprays him with that. Phil's struggling. 
wiping his eyes. Uh, suddenly, you cut to Sean in the kitchen saying, so much for theories of innocence. And she pours herself a glass of wine. <laughs> I mean, you got to, buddy. You got to. I mean, she's pretty much trapped there. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and then from there, you cut to Phil, whose eyes are like better now, I guess. Uh, because <laughs> he's there's acting, another. He's having, he's, you know, Wingshauser's doing his, his business and acting and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's. They're not as red as Meg Foster's are later from all the wind and shit. True. So now he's at the generator and he starts messing with uh, the power of the generator. He's causing the lights to brighten and dim and brighten and dim. And it's really funny because he's kind of like getting into it with his big smile on his face. And he's kind of revving his whole body to the sound of the generator. Yeah, Zach's description doesn't do it justice. He's chewing up the scene as he's doing this. And you know what? It's awesome. I love it. It is awesome. And as this is happening, Sean gets pissed and she goes, you son of a bitch. Thanks a lot. And then Phil starts kind of yelling. He's like, yeah. And he surges the power so much on the generator that it causes all the light bulbs in the villa to explode. When Sean screams. Can that happen? Can like power make light bulbs explode too much? I'm going to say sure. Yeah, I'm going to say sure. Sure. If a, if a opera woman can shatter glass, then why can't a power surge break a light bulb? Was that a real thing, or was that like a wives' tale back in the day? I'm gonna say it was a husband's fantasy. Touche, <laughs> touche. <laughs> Sean, from there, Sean makes a fire. Sure. Uh, and what looks <laughs> sure. like maybe sure, sure. And what looks like her bed? I'd be fucking fortifying this place. I'd be looking for that gun immediately. Yeah. Not yes. not an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. No. <laughs> so now, because uh, we're like 30 minutes into the movie, guys, at this point, it's we're not that deep into this film. We're not even halfway through the movie when this shit goes down. Uh, Elias gets killed, I think, at the 30-minute mark. Yeah, no. Guys and gals, this movie is expertly paced. It is pretty much, once things roll... It's nonstop. I I love the pacing of this film. Me too. Me too. I like that it, you know, in so many times in horror films, they take, if it's a 90-minute movie, they do an hour of lead-up and then 30 minutes of explosion. This is basically 30 minutes of lead-up and then an hour of explosion. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, so Sean makes a fire in her living room. Sorry. Sean makes a fire in what looks like her bedroom at this point. Cause I'm yeah. like, that's not the villa living room. And she walks uh, up the stairs. <laughs> I'm like, where the fuck is she? And suddenly she's in the living room where there's another fire already burning. Yeah. Yeah. And you, Zach's it's not a very dis- wrong. It's, it's, it's yeah. hard to sort of track where things are. I, you know what? I believe that the filmmaker knows, like, I don't think that these are gaffes, but no. it's it the house the the living quarters are so um, foreign to us as American viewers that it's kind of hard to get the layout, you know. Well, well, so here's the thing, she because later on she's in the living room, looks up to the ceiling, and then goes into her bedroom on the same floor. I'm like, oh, you know what? Probably that fireplace is in the kitchen. Mm, yeah, but yeah, sure. you're probably right. Yeah. Regardless, suddenly you out from the outside, you hear Phil saying, starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. 
Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Wish I may, wish I might, have this wish come true tonight. Sean yells out, go to hell. (laughs) Suddenly, outside the villa, the main one entrance into the villa, uh, you see a little golf cart type thing rolling up with some dudes in it and Mrs. Appleby. They drop her off. She waves goodbye to them and they drive back. I am going to assume she didn't understand a word that Sean said in regards to her husband being dead. That's why she didn't lead in with the police. Yeah, no, no. that, That was my assumption. My assumption is she's in her head. She's like, I understood Appleby. I understood the girl probably renting from us because, you know, she's going to talk to her husband. She's going to know. Yeah, she's just but she doesn't know enough or understand enough of what what uh, Sean's saying to yeah make the proper connections. So she just rolls up to kind of check on her own. Yeah, and it's cool. So she starts walking into the villa, like the the entrance to the, the courtyard of the villa. She's on her way there. It takes a while. Uh, the phone rings in Sean's villa. She answers the phone. No one says anything. Cut back to Mrs. Appleby continuing to walk down a long pathway that's brightly lit from behind. So she's all in shadow, which is really cool. It's a really, really cool shot. Actually, it's the shot I used on my Instagram page to say that I was, you know, we were reviewing this movie tonight. It's a, it's an awesome fucking shot. Yeah, it's really cool. And then the the phone cut back to Sean in her villa and the phone rings again. This time there's a voice sounding very much like Humphrey Bogart saying, yes, yes, I tried to reason with the expert at the supermarket, but no, no, they, they fought me at every turn, every corner, up one aisle and down the next. Then there's a laugh. <laughs> well, well, what was that supposed to be? Like, what was well, all he, that? Because he even says, he, he does, I think he says uh, Bogart later. He he references Bogart. Oh, okay, okay. W- like, was all that a Bogart line that I just don't know? I don't think so. I think he's just riffing. Okay, I don't, okay. I don't know. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know Bogey that well, to be honest with you. And uh, now Phil is using his normal voice and he says, you know, when, when the phone rang, you thought it was John, didn't you? Surprise, Bogey here. So there's his Bogey reference. There you go. Okay. Cuts to Phil in his kitchen with a bunch of food in front of him, like a giant tomato and bread and butter. And I'm like, oh, it looks delicious, actually. It, it does. But did you notice the piece of tomato food, in his face? tomato in his fucking unibrow? Yes. Oh, yeah. On his, on his face. I'm like, oh, he's he's eating. Maybe they cut a scene where he was eating. I, I think they cut a scene where they when he was eating. But he does this entire scene with a piece of tomato right in his unibrow. It's, it's I mean, he doesn't have a unibrow, but it's in that spot. <laughs> yes, where the unibrow would be. Yeah. He says, who is John? And Sean's not saying anything. And he says, oh, come on. Don't be so quiet. Look, it was me. It was me who called before. I just wanted to make sure that you were okay, and you're, you are okay, so good. How about this wind? If I were you, I wouldn't go out in this because it could be a killer. You are scared, aren't you? Well, don't be. I mean, I'm not going to hurt you. I just, I just wanted to talk to somebody. I got nobody to talk to anymore. Elias is a son of a bitch. He, he just left us. And then Sean says, you killed him. And Phil says, I did? Yeah, well, uh, I guess I, I guess I did. <laughs> and Sean says you're insane, and he says, 
then he gets agitated and he goes, no, no, don't call me that. Look, I hate it when people say that about me. I mean, you don't understand. You don't understand a thing. This is my home now. He wanted me to leave. I protect it. That is called self-defense, lady. Then Phil whispers, Sean, listen, I don't want to hurt you. I mean, I kind of like you, you know, so, so why don't you, why don't you just open the door and let me in and we can talk. Okay. And then he starts caressing the, the phone with his finger and he says, just, just you, just, just keep your mouth shut. Be quiet. and Nothing happens. All right. Just let me in, please. And then Sean responds, go to hell and hangs up the phone on him. Phil like drops the phone and then looks at it and he says, I really don't want to hurt you. This table's again covered with like <laughs> just tons of food and shit. And then he's having a meltdown and he says, why does everybody make me kill? <laughs> I love that. I love that line. I love that line. And then cuts to a quick shot of Appleby's wife walking toward the villa. Cut back to Phil opening up some sort of weird liquid that in today's culture, uh, it's, it's, it's amber colored, but in today's culture, I'm like, oh, that looks like the COVID test things you open up to pour into the, you know, the liquid into the COVID test. Yeah. It's, what is it? He I, snorts it. I, all I know is he snorts it. He sees, so he's got to like pop a plastic top off of it and then he snorts it. So I'm going off of the only thing I have to go off of, which is an old Dennis Leary uh, comedy CD from the 90s and he refers to things called poppers and i'm gonna assume that this is a popper so he he pie because he breaks the top off of it inserts it into his nose kind of squeezes it and inhales and kind of like gets hot you can tell he gets high and everything i don't know what poppers are i've never known what poppers are but i know that phrase from dennis leary and that's what i'm gonna assume that this is you heard it here first folks Dennis Leary Poppers. It's it's the same CD that has the song I'm an asshole. Yo That's a great song. That's yeah, a great song. A lot of you guys might not remember Dennis Leary used to be just a stand-up comedian. Yeah, back before shows like Rescue Me and whatnot. Hey, go back to our uh, go to the Talking Back episode where we discussed Judgment Night. Yeah. And we talk about Dennis Leary and our love of Dennis Leary. I I love me some Dennis Leary. I love me some Talking Back. So, dudes, <laughs> Go check them out. Yeah. <laughs> Go check them out. They're Canadian. They're super nice. From here, you cut back to Appleby's wife walking towards the villa, calling out for her husband. He lies. He lies. Phil hears this. Uh, she's now at the like the staircase of his villa, I think. His like his guest house. Uh, he blows out the, the light, the the lantern. Uh, in his kitchen, so it's dark. Cut to Sean looking outside the window and saying to herself, what if it's a trap? Cut back to Appleby's wife calling out her husband's name over and over again. Elias! Elias! Of all the internal, or not internal, but all the voiceover dialogue that, you know, Sean kind of does, I didn't need her saying, I think it's, a, what if it's a trap? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, she simply could have just been looking out the window. Yeah. Uh, but then you cut back to Appleby's wife calling out again his name. Phil comes up from behind her and sticks her in the back with the sickle, and she's dead. 
And I think at this point she's in Phil's house, though. Like, the, yeah, in I, Handyman's she, yeah, house. she, she's, she went up the stairs to his home. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she, he, he fucking sinks it right in her back. Yes, and she's dead pretty quickly. Uh, no blood though, again, which I appreciate. There's like very minimal blood and gore in this film. Yeah, no, this movie is not gory at all, really. No. From there, uh, you cut to Phil walking down the stairs of his guest house, his apartment, and he shuffles off down the pathway with this like very hoppy dancing move again. Yeah, shuffles. Frolic. Shuffles is the right term. It's a weird thing, and I wasn't, I didn't quite understand. So he, he kills the wife, then he kind of goes running, but weirdly off into the the night, and I was like, what's he doing? He's going to the front like gate door thing to shut it and lock it at this point, you know? Um, but at the time, I didn't really know what was happening. I will say this movie is one of those movies where I think you do uh, get benefit from multiple viewings and sort of piecing things together and under multiple viewings there's not like any like that many holes in the plot or anything you know it it actually holds up well under multiple viewings but uh his shuffling slash running has to be seen to be believed in this movie. oh it's so great it's so great and Corey's right like there's a lot of things that may confuse you location wise it doesn't take away from the film overall Sean's been watching him shuffle off. She's looking out the window and then she walks over to the phone and she picks the phone line up and it's still static. It's still out. She then goes downstairs into her kitchen, grabs a big old Michael Myers style knife and walks to the door of her kitchen. And then she goes outside. She sneaks up into Phil's home. (laughs) Very ballsy. Yeah. And you see him running around another hallway because like, Corey said he's on his way to go close the front gate, which assuming is kind of a little bit of a jaunt to get down there. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to like, we're never quite familiar with the, like how the location is laid out or whatever. Um, But yeah, the first time I watched it, I didn't quite understand why he just went running away, but yeah, it seems like the front gate thingy is kind of like, like Zach said, a little bit of a jaunt away. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're cutting back and forth between Sean being in Phil's home and finding his phone and dialing to call John and cut back to Phil running around outside on his way to close the gate. She calls John, but she gets a busy signal. Cut to Phil, who's now sealed the main entrance and locked it. Cut back to Sean trying the phone again. And she realizes in Greece, they don't dial zero for the operator. They dial zero for long distance. Mm. And she says that out loud. (laughs) Yes, but I'm not. Yeah, because she loves talking to herself. She dials the phone again and cut to John and his beautiful pool inside the Hollywood Hills. I love it. This is when we get a good shot of him swimming and we see through that like that underwater window thing. Underwater window. That's right. Uh, the phone rings. He finally answers it from the pool. And she she gets a hold of him. And then Sean says, there's a man after me. He knows I saw him kill someone. Did you reach the local police? And John says, I have two operators working on that call. I even tried calling direct. Sean says, give me the phone number. John says, hold on a second. 
and he gets out of the pool to help her to, to get the number. He's he's doing whatever he can. It's the fact that he's on the other side of the globe doesn't help matters at all. But I do believe John is doing everything he can possibly do. Yeah, it's great. I, I it, it all makes sense because yeah. it's like, you, you know, but I love that he's like, he's like, what else am I going to do? I'll just go for a dip yeah, in the pool. Of course. What else are you going to do? Fuck it. Oh, yes. Fuck it. So, <laughs> uh, so suddenly she hears. Sean hears Phil screaming outside in the courtyard saying, Anderson, are you asleep? Do you want to play a game? And I love he's technically yelling at the wrong house because she's in his house right now. She's in his house. He doesn't know that. She puts the phone down uh, to go see what's going on outside the window. John gets back on the phone, starts telling her the phone number, but she's not there to hear it. And he starts calling out for her. And then... Phil says, in case you haven't noticed, the wind has died, and so will you, Anderson. And he screams out. Sean hangs up the phone on John. She sees that Phil is now coming up the stairs to his home. She hides in the closet near the entrance of the the front entrance of the apartment or his home. Even though she left the front door open, but he sort of didn't really notice that. Which makes sense. Like yeah. maybe he yeah. thought the wind opened it. Or, yeah, yeah. That, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Me too. He comes in his home. He puts his sickle. He puts a sickle on a hook, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, yep, that's where my killing that's, tool goes. That's where my sickle goes. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes upstairs to his bedroom. He turns the light on in his bedroom. Power's back on. He must have gone and turned the, the generator on. Oh, good. Good point. That's I didn't even piece that one together is or he's on a different generator from uh, from the main house. Maybe. Yes. But he had a lantern on earlier. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. This could be be a plot hole. I'm not not quite sure. I you know what? I'll say just in my head because I I want I want to believe it. I think he has his own generator. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll go with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on that one, I will go with you on. Um, so cut to Sean in the closet. She looks around in the closet, which is a big ass closet, by the way. These Greek, these Greeks have big closets. These Greeks like their closets. Hey, Norwegians. <laughs> and, Norwegians uh, <laughs> and suddenly she sees the dead body of Mrs. Appleby. She screams out, puts her hand over her mouth, trying not to be too dramatic. And Phil hears it. He looks down the stairs, but he doesn't see anything. So he kind of ignores it for a little bit. Yeah, he's on poppers. Yeah, he's on poppers. Phil's looking in his bedroom for something in the dresser. Uh, Sean slowly tries to leave the closet. And as she does, the door is creaking. And a mop falls on her head. She screams very dramatically. I said, God damn it, Sean. You you did good with the body, and then the mop freaked you out. It's not too bad because she bolts out of the closet as fast as she can out the front door as Phil runs down the stairs, but the wind hits her and him so hard that they're both kind of slowed down Yeah. as she tries to make her way back to the villa. I mean, they really... I do think they really have, like, high-powered wind machines because... Yeah, you can see the actors are getting like knocked over and shit. Yeah, yeah, I, it's 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 believable. It yeah. feels super believable to me. Yeah, Phil is chasing after her basically, 
comes down the stairs to find that Sean's on the ground, and he tries to get her with his sickle, but misses. Yeah, I, my note says she dodged it like a pro. Dodges it like a pro, and she's able to get back into her home, into the kitchen. While Phil tries to bash it open with his body, she's able to close it and lock it. Yeah. Well, it's it's pretty intense. This whole scene, this whole, like, scene is intense as hell. And Phil's got crazy eyes and everything. Yeah, and what I love about this is it's it's now essentially a two-person movie. Like, uh, you know, and and really, if you think about it, two main. but But they sprinkle in these supporting actors that keep it fresh. Yeah, dude, I'm not gonna lie to you. I love two things. I love movies or stories that take place in one night, um, and I also love pl- movies or stories that take place in one location. And this is both. And so right away, this already has like a high level of me loving it because of those two factors. Have you ever seen the movie The The Trigger Effect with uh, Elizabeth Shue? Kyle McLaughlin and Dermot Mulroney. No, but that sounds awesome. Dude, it's great. The power goes out in this like subdivision in uh in I think in Los Angeles. And it's it you it's a thriller. It's really good. Okay. Highly recommend the trigger effect. Okay. And and I'll just throw it out now, dude. We've talked about it before. Uh, I love a good thriller, man. And the 90s had some great thrillers. Hand the Rock's the Cradle, all that kind of shit. We just don't see that shit anymore, man. Thrillers don't make it to the theater anymore. And I'm, I love a good thriller. And by the way, The Wind is a good thriller. Totally agree, and I'm glad we're giving it its due justice. Me too. Me too. And judging by the reaction that people have on our, our posting on Instagram, they're excited for this one. I, I wasn't sure what the reception would be, but I think the wind has its fans. Well, hope you all appreciate my breakdown so far. Uh, you're so doing a great go. job, my friend. Oh, muchas gracias. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted? For seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. And now, back to the show. Cut now to a police station where a police chief is playing backgammon with a very very rugged-looking Steve Railsback, a.k.a. Kesner. Yeah, and by the way, my wife and I, Steve Railsback, at least in this movie, looks like 80% like my Uncle Dale, my uh, my mom's uh, older brother. Uh, the way he like has his hair and everything and sort of the shape of his face and his nose and everything, I'm like, Jesus Christ, he looks like my uncle, which is pretty fucking cool. But I'm not yeah, gonna that's lie. cool. Yeah, that's and cool. My uncle's, and my uncle's fucking awesome. I love my Uncle Dale. He fucking rocks. No, that's cool. Well, I was thinking if he had a mustache, he would have been shipwrecked from G.I. Joe. Yeah, dude, yeah. But I will say my Uncle Dale does not have the the accent that Railsback has. That, like, kind of southern accent? Yeah. Borderline? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the phone rings at the police station, 
and the chief picks it up and Steve rails back mumbles. It's nice to know that there's life somewhere on this planet tonight. Real quick. I just want to note that this is like right at the hour mark. We literally only have like 30 minutes left in the movie. Yeah. It moves pretty quick. It does. And then the, the police chief says, yes, of course I speak English. Who? Mr. John from Los Angeles? Yes. How is Los Angeles, Mr. John? American? Which one? And he fingers over Railsback's character, uh, Kesner. And Kesner is lighting a cigarette at the moment. And police chief says, You want to speak with Mr. Kesner? And give and he gives the phone to Miss and he gives the phone to Kesner. Not gonna lie, I low key love the police chief. <laughs> Me too. I love I love when uh, you have these random. You see it a lot more in like martial art movies in the late eighties, early nineties that they filmed in Thailand, where they just cast local actors in these kind of supporting roles, and you're like, who the fuck is this guy? But, but they always kind of steal the show <laughs> yeah, in some kinda, way. Yeah, kind of steals the show. Well, I love them. They, they don't <laughs> care. They're like, oh, I'm in movie? Great. This is great. And, and by the way, his name is uh, Mihalis uh, Giannados. Well, thank you. So Kessner gets the phone and says, who? Anderson? I never heard of him. Yeah, I can hear you. I'm an American. No, no, I don't live around here. I, I, I'm stranded here on account of bad weather. Kessner says, all right, I'll look into it. Kesner hangs up the phone. He looks at something written down on like a card and he says, that's Elias's number. And police chief says, anybody who goes up there in this wind is either stupid or crazy or both. And Kesner says, he goes, I tell you what, suppose I forget all the money you owe me. Suppose I go and check with Elias's wife. Maybe even go all the way up into the Castro. Just suppose, would it be worth it to you to give me back my passport and let me sail out of here? And the police chief slowly nods and says, deal. Kesner gets up from the table playing backgammon, grabs his jacket, and the police chief gives him a gun. And the police chief says, you know what this is? And Kesner says, yeah, sure. Credential insurance. I love this, dude. I love that there's a backstory to Kessner that we don't know. He's some kind of, I don't know, mercenary merchant or something. Who knows? Yeah. But he has this rapport with the police chief enough for the for the police. It's like it's the police chief still keeping him there like because of legalities. But at the same time, he's got enough of a rapport with them that he, they're playing backgammon together and the police chief even gives him like his gun so it's like you you clearly don't think that he's going to shoot you and just run away you know what i mean like there's something there that i really i really fucking love you know yeah no i love it too i love that there's like i want there's some world building going on with these characters Mm -hmm. there's enough subtlety in knowing that there's a deeper story with these guys yeah which is great yeah this is this is good writing right here Cut back to another Home Alone moment. (laughs) Uh, Phil is now using a pry bar outside the villa trying to get into Sean's home. Kessner is uh, arriving at the front of the villa, banging on the the, the main entrance that Phil had sealed up earlier that that Mrs. Appleby had entered with uh, the people that drove up in the little golf cart. And thus kind of giving like an example of 
the first time I watched the movie, I wasn't kind of sure what was going on. Second time you watch it, you're like, oh, I get it. I get he was locking that door and everything. And this movie is actually very tight. There are not very many plot holes. If you rewatch it, you realize they actually take care of all the potholes. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. This is like a back and forth and forth scene yeah. between yeah. Uh, Kesner eventually scaling the the wall of the the villa grounds or whatever um and 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 that's how he gets in he has to climb in the wind and Phil trying to break into uh Sean's home with the pry bar and Sean grabbing a big uh, seeing Phil trying to do this on the lower level of the villa she gets a big pot of water and puts it on top of her a fire to get it to start boiling. <laughs> Your home alone moment is coming. Again, cuts back to Kesner finally making it onto the grounds and making his way towards uh, Sean's home. The water is steaming at this point. I don't think it's super hot, but it's hot enough. Yeah. She takes the boiling pot of water dumps it out the window on top of Phil. Phil screams because it's got to be hot enough to s- boil enough and then cuts back to Sean and set who yells out, and you thought you were hot. <laughs> oh, God. It's and, actually, I don't have a problem with it. No, no, no. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. And, uh, and I mean, dude, fucking Phil looks up at the water as it's coming down. So it hits him square in the face. And I was Again. like, I know. And I was like, oh, shit. The first time I, I watched this, it's, it's wild, dude. It's fucking wild. It's wild. It's wild. So we're, we have to assume now that Phil has ran off to his, his home. Right. Tend to his wounds. Yeah, to tend to his wounds. He does that again later, but that's in a different spot. And Kesner approaches the the villa where Sean's staying. I, and I love at one point Kesner, uh, Steve Rell's back pulls out like a giant, like one of those black mag flashlights. And Myra did go. She was like, "That's the biggest fucking flashlight I've ever seen." I was yeah, like, like, "Yeah, those yeah, cop flashlights." <laughs> yeah, true. He knocks on the door. And calls out her name. Sean approaches the door with her knife while he keeps knocking. She asks who it is. And he says, the name's Kesner, Miss Anderson. Open up the goddamn door. (laughs) Open up the goddamn door. And Sean says, not until I know who you are. Go over to the window so I can see you. So he has to go down the stairs into the courtyard so she can see who he is. She looks out the window with, and he's got his big ass flashlight and a big old shit eating grin on his face. She lets him in, and when he walks in, she's got the knife drawn on him, and he goes, hell, lady, I thought you said come in. <laughs> I, I like that, by the way. I like that. She, she apologizes, and she goes, I'll explain. And before she does, Kesner says, you having a party? And she goes, yeah, real blast. And suddenly the, the tone totally shifts from like a sense of urgency to suddenly like, come on in, sit down, let's have a talk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... I don't like that part. Okay. Okay. I, I I don't hate it. I get what you're I saying. I I don't hate it, but like, yeah, Steve Rails back. He he like the movie sort of shifts tonally when he comes into the scene, but it's it's only brief. It's only like for this scene and like a couple of scenes. It's not it's for very maybe long. One or two minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. maybe one or two minutes. Yeah. 
Uh, Kesner says, I was at the police station in the village when some guy calls us from L.A. L.A.? Jesus Christ, lady, why didn't you call us yourself? Yeah, and the way he says he's like, L.A.? He has some interesting, like, sort of arm things, but I don't hate it. I, I, I kind of think it's endearing, but it is kind of a bit overacting, you know? It's a little overacting. I don't mind it because we like Rails back, so yeah, it's all it, good. And yeah, and she, what you just said, basically. Yeah, and she says, it's a long story. I didn't have the number. Second place. In second place, even if I did have it, I couldn't have called out because the phone's dead. Kesner walks over to the phone, picks it up, and it's now working miraculously. Sean mumbles, he's smarter than I thought he was. Kesner is now chilling with Sean, kind of like sitting down, talking to her. And he's like, oh, mystery writer, huh? They have this kind of, like like we said, like little back and forth pillow talk. And it's, it, it again, ruins the sense of urgency just for this minute. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. It ruins the sense of urgency, but just for a minute, that's a fantastic way to put it. Yeah. Kesner says he's been docking in this town on and off for five years now. He says places like a cemetery. And I know Phil, and I don't like him, but a psycho? Sean says, for God's sake, just look around. Do you think I hallucinated this? He was here. He tried to kill me. He's already killed two people. And if he gets a chance, he'll kill both of us. This is real, Mr. Kesner. Believe it. Kesner says, I went to the village to check on Elias's house. His wife wasn't there, but I'll still like to take a look around. Sean just wants to leave at this point. Of course. Kesner says, why wouldn't she? Yeah. He goes, why don't you try to relax? You're safe. And Sean says famous last words. Which is true. Yep. Sean then takes Anderson down to the above entrance to the generator, like the, the trap door area of the generator. Uh, Sean says the bulbs are out. And Kesner says, well, why don't you go find one? There's nothing to be afraid of. And he goes down into the generator. Yeah, so Myra said at this point, she was like, that guy's a dick. <laughs> he's a dick, and you know he's going to die eventually. We yeah. all know this. While Kesner is in the generator room, Sean puts a new light bulb in one of the light fixtures and it starts working. She smiles and then she hears a metal clang and she asks if he's okay. And Kesner says, yeah, I'm fine. And she's now putting more light bulbs in other light fixtures. She hears Kesner yell. She grabs her knife, goes, goes back to the entrance, the trapdoor entrance of the generator. And she says, oh my God, Mr. Kesner, are you all right? Suddenly the door opens. Kesner Walks up, looking tired, but he's like, yeah, that son of a bitch generator almost electrocuted me. Wires all over the place. It's a wonder Elias hasn't gotten himself killed. He then puts on his trench coat jacket to go outside of the villa to look around. He says, I'm going to go check out those corpses of yours. Why don't you stay here? And she wants to go with him. And she's like, what did she say? I'm fun says, to be around or something? She says, can I go? And he goes... He goes, you've been fine for the past few hours. A few more minutes won't kill you. She goes, I'm fun to be with. <laughs> and she's, and this goes back to what you were saying, how she's like flirty with everybody. Yes. This scene uh, took a little bit, took me out of it. Cause she's like, I'm fun to be around. And she goes, boo, boo, boo. Like does yeah. a little pretty face, you know? And I was like, 
girl, you're just like, someone was just stalking you. How do you just switch from being afraid to being like, oh, look at me. I'm going to hit on Steve Rails back right now, a.k.a. my Uncle Dale. <laughs> She's man hungry. She's I, man hungry for Uncle Dale. She is man hungry for Uncle Dale. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he goes, after she says that, he goes, I've noticed. And he goes, okay, come on. And she smiles at him. And they go down, they go over to Phil's house in the courtyard. He calls out for Phil. Uh, the place seems to be empty. Sean takes Kesner over to the closet where she found the bodies. And they try to open the door, but it's locked. So what does Kesner do? He shoots it. Does he shoot it once? No, he shoots it twice. He shoots it twice. <laughs> this, this movie wastes bullets in the weirdest way. And they open up the closet and it's empty and i like how when they go into the house like kesner's like phil good buddy are you here because i I like that he knows him like because in in, you know in a greek little town yeah of course he's gonna know the other american guy there and everything and you know earlier he's like you know i know the guy but he's not a he's not a killer he's a dick but he's not a killer you know but i i just like that there's this backstory i like the fact that like Kesner and Phil have probably shared drinks at some point in their past, you know, the past five years that that uh, Kesner has come and gone in this town and everything. I agreed. Agreed. Yeah, no, I, I totally dig that. I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Kesner looks at Sean skeptically, but they go down to the courtyard anyways, where Phil buried Mr. Appleby, Elias, and they find the scarecrow on the ground and a shovel, and on the Scarecrow's hand is Mr. Appleby's ring. Good, good job, says, Phil. Good job. Good job. He's smart. And Kesner says, Elias never looks so good. Sean shrugs her shoulders. And Kesner picks up the shovel and starts digging in the ground, and he digs up a bag of trash. And he says, sorry, Miss Anderson. They go back to the villa, and Kesner says to Sean, I love this. He's like, okay, pack your toothbrush. And she goes, I'll be a minute. I'm like, okay, sure. Like, take your fucking time. You want to get out of there? But, but they're gonna. The point is, they're gonna get out. Yeah. And then this is this is when I thought maybe they're back in in Phil's house, but they're not. So they're here. It, this this was where I was a little bit confused. And this scene gets a little bit more confusing. But let's discuss when you come to the conclusion of of everything that happens. Okay. Yeah. So so now. They're in what I would assume the living room. Sean goes to the bedroom to pack. And so Kesner's still in the living room. And he goes, you know, I never did like that guy. I told Elias not to trust him. And he said, Kesner, dear boy, you're not going to get anywhere with a philosophy like that. You don't have to trust anybody as long as labor is cheap. (laughs) Kesner laughs and says, I guess Elias's philosophy let him down. And then Sean says, then you do believe me. And Kesner says, yeah, well, like I said, I'll take a chance. It's not a big one. I'll take you back to the village. And this is another where I, I like that Kesner believes her. This is not one of those movies where no one believes the female protagonist. I like that. You know, yeah, but it's, it's not like you're being paranoid and yeah. then they just leave them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Except for the fact that he's Steve Railsback's character, Kesner, still finds a way of like 
somehow condescending her, being like, yeah, it's it's a chance, but it's not a big one. It's like, it's her life. It is a big chance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, men, a... men of the 80s. Men, men of the 80s. Small penis. <laughs> Sean says, who's going to look for the bodies? And Kessner says, well, he may be a killer, but he's not stupid. He's probably gotten rid of all of the evidence, thrown him in the ocean. By the time they start looking for him, he's going to be long gone. Don't have anything to pin on him anyway. Kesner walks around the living room. He's like picks up this random statue. And then now he's standing in front of what appears to be some sort of like closet, but there's a curtain there. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's weird because the closet doesn't go all the way to his head. Like you can tell that it it's weirdly cut off, but yeah, yeah. you're right. It's it has a curtain in front of it instead of any kind of doors, and he's just straight up standing in front of it. Standing in front of it, and and then Sean says, You're a strange man, Mr. Kessner, but I kind of like you. And then Kessner says, I kind of like you too. Boop, boop, be doo. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, Phil's sickle gets shoved through his body. Kessner drops the statue that he had in his hand and it breaks in half you don't see like it's a very quick shot no blood very yeah. minimal not yeah. a little bit of blood very minimal yeah and then this is perfect because right at this second at this moment you don't know what's happening you know you're sort of like still with her and everything yeah sean comes out to see that kesner is now dead on the ground she gives the biggest scream you can think of and did you notice dramatic. that there was like a shot of like him breathing but you can tell they kind of paused it so it's, yes. it's as if he gave out his final breath or something yeah or they just cut it maybe he was but they wanted to show him struggling a little bit but yeah yeah it was it was it was a little awkward but again i, I sort of give it to like like you know giallo sensibilities you know or not western filmmaking sensibilities but it still works exactly sean looks while she's still freaking out, she looks over at the closet and sees Phil's white tennis shoes in the closet. By the way, I think this is like a callback to earlier in the movie when he had the extra pair of high tops on his bed. Yeah, and, and he, I'm gonna call I'm gonna discuss the scene once you're done, but I think you calling out the extra pair of white high tops helps the scene uh be put together better than I, I thought it was originally. Well thank you. Uh and Sean runs back into her bedroom, grabs her trusty Michael Myers knife, and then says, Okay, okay, here I am. Come out and get me. Come on, you little shit. She's yelling at the closet, looking at the shoes in the closet. She takes her blade, hacks into the closet with the curtain still there. And then she opens the closet curtain, revealing that it's Mr. Appleby, and Mrs. Appleby dead in the closet. Dead, quote unquote dead, because uh, my wife became the, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And immediately, I didn't even notice it until my second viewing. She immediately is drinking a beer. She points at the screen and she goes, "She's breathing." She's breathing. <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't rewind it. But the second time I watched it, yeah, you can see her breathing. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. 
explain your uh, or go into your detail about your wondering about the scene and why the high tops helped it. So so Steve Railsback gets killed standing. So clearly Wings is in that closet, right? Because the blade comes out of it, hits him in the back. The music turns on in the other room. That's why she goes back into it and grabs her knife. But it's because music turns on. So how did he get from in there? And then when she stabs the the closet window, or I'm sorry, the closet curtain, no one's in there because it's not his shoes. He's not there. But yet he's still like, how did he move back and forth to like turn on the music? And you know what? If you watch it, I don't think it holds up. It's not, it's one of those things where like, I think you're like, it's, it's, it, it doesn't hold up. It's, it's not correct. It does not take anything away from this movie at all, to be honest with you, because at this point I'm so invested. This movie's so interesting to me. And I think it's so wonderful that any gaffes I don't mind, but this scene, if you try to track it out, I don't think it lines up properly, like logically. No, it's, it's, I mean, the same can be said for the, the, the grave that he buried this 300 pound man in that suddenly looks like there's no grave there. It's more just like, you got to go with the suspension of disbelief type moment. And I'm okay with that. It, it is a little bit like, yeah, cause the timing's off, right? How yeah. much time had elapsed? Cause he would have had to leave, but or set the body up. So she hacked the body. Yeah. It, it's, it doesn't track very well, but it's one of those like, okay, well that happened. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't track, but you don't give a shit because the movie is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And by the way, there's only like 15 minutes left in the movie. Yeah. So at this point now, Sean is crying, probably with the realization that she's going to die tonight in this villa. And then she hears rock music blasting. She goes into the another part of the living room. Again, it's weird. It's hard to tell which room they're in. Um, and she turns off the music that's playing uh, by her typewriter. Uh, on the Walkman. Yeah, see, how did he get into the room to do that? Because there's only one door in and out of that room, you know? Yeah, exactly. As she's doing that, I know, it's like you just gotta... Eat, yeah, you just gotta not care at all at yeah, this point. At this point. Phil ha- now pulls the sickle out of Kessner's back. Sean's now walking down the stairs to the kitchen of her villa. She hears a door creak, and then... Suddenly, Phil is there in the kitchen. Yeah, and I love, like, he pops out, and he's like, I don't, it's, like, weird, like, he doesn't expect to see her right there, but then he does, and he's, like, he does this, like, cool head move, and he goes, run! You know, he kind of drops his sickle as she runs up the stairs next to him, and he grabs her and whatnot. He he says, first he he says, can you do me a favor? Don't die quiet, okay? Oh, he's so awesome. And then he whispers, run. And then, yeah, and she she runs through the kitchen uh, with her with her knife and and he he like drops his sickle so he can grab her with both hands, basically grabs her with both hands as she's going up the stairs. She's struggling up the stairs, but she has the wherewithal to turn around and jam her knife into what I thought was her his back. But it turns out it's it's his arm. Yeah, it's like his shoulder area. Yeah. 
And I would, I mean, I would have kept hacking if I were her, but I get it. She ha- she does the hack and then gets away and kind of, you know, slams the door shut. Slams the door shut. Uh, and now, and then it cuts to Phil uh, polishing or like putting his knife by uh, candlelight fire, heating it up. And then he cauterizes his open wound on his arm. Yeah. Which is which pretty is, cool, I, actually. Which is, re- it is really cool. And, and kind of goes back to the credence that I think he was probably kind of like a mercenary you know earlier on in his life and everything he seems very capable oh totally he might have been he might be more capable if he wasn't doing poppers all the time you know (laughs) well he's about to and just oh i know (laughs) he he yells he yells up to her and he says i licked my wound it's fine now and he takes that another sniffer from uh his popper cuts to sean in her living room looking totally traumatized and like just done with the whole night. And Phil is back at the kitchen table. Uh, and he puts his sickle and a piece of fruit in the fruit basket, which is connected to an apple. And he takes like a bite of the apple <laughs> and throws it on the table. It's it's good. It's good actor business. It's it's great. And then he's got her manuscript uh, there on the table. And he starts reading it. And he's throwing the pieces of the manuscript to the ground. And he's like doing like a pee-pee dance back and forth. It's like like he's got to go pee. Yeah, it's it's and, he's very interesting, like like what he's doing to per, his acting that he's on this drug or whatever, you know. Yeah, and it's this is funny because he starts like reading uh, her words. He says, "Inside the walls, they came to an immense square. The square held millions of people, surrounded by three sides of low market stalls, souks and buzzing." with every kind of activity imaginable. He moved silently behind the seated guard. He clenched his massive hands together, raised them over his head, and he glanced over his shoulder at Melanie for approval. And then he shouts, What is this? The pearls of Pauline Anderson? And I, I like look, so I was like, oh, let me look that shit up. So The Pearls of Pauline is a 1947 melodrama directed by George Marshall, starring Betty Hutton and John Lund. So I think he's just basically saying that this is like, what is this melodramatic bullshit? Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, like this, this sucks, basically. He throws the manuscript up in the air. He's got a big smile on his face because he's a maniac. He picks a sickle up off of the fruit basket, uh, knocking an orange off, and then says, Okay, Anderson, time's up. And he sings, Party's over. Fucking love it, bro. I love this scene, man. I love what I love everything Wings is fucking doing in this in this scene right here. And by the way, we only have like fucking like like twelve minutes left in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Cut to uh cut to Sean in her bathroom. <clears throat> yeah. Why not? Sure. And she hears the phone ring. She uh walks back into the living room, picks up the phone, and it's Phil. And he says, smart, Sean. It's very smart. You discovered all my little ways of coming uh, all my little ways of coming in and out, didn't you? Except for one. Which one? Now, let's see how smart you really are, because I'm ready to pay you a final visit. The cameras close up on Sean's blue eyes that are totally bloodshot. And then you hear in her mind the voice of Elias saying, 
Remember, the locked closets don't contain anything valuable, just a few personal belongings, my son's hunting weapons. Sean has a realization and goes and finds a locked cabinet. Well, one cabinet that has a lock on it. And she rips the lock off. And inside, there's the biggest fucking shotgun I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, the, the spas or whatever. Uh, the, those of you that play Call of Duty will recognize it. And I love that shotgun. I've always, ever since the 80s, I've loved that shotgun. I think it's really cool looking. But it is a beefy weapon. Yeah, the sound design is really cool because it, it sounds very realistic the way she, like, she finds a box box full of shells and then she sits down at the bed basically talking herself into loading it and i love this because you hear her like put the shells in the shotgun cock the shotgun and she's talking herself up like okay you can use this thing it's she's an like, automatic yeah she's like it's an automatic oh it's italian she's like i wish i did the i wish i could remember my research or something like that and it's you're getting the idea that she researched this weapon for one yes. of her books one of her books but she doesn't quite remember it you know but it's kind of coming back to her i like that i like i like the fact that she doesn't say like oh i researched this for my book you just have to remember she's a writer and she's like yeah she's like come on sean remember your research and i like that i like that well and she said earlier in the movie that she knows guns yeah so, you yeah know. Uh, and, and that's but, a fucking powerful shotgun by the way it's a yeah that's a military grade shotgun yeah, and she she acknowledges that in the box of shotgun shells, there's only four live rounds. Yeah. Four live rounds. That I need to point that out. That she that, uses three of. There's a continuity error yep. in just a moment. <clears throat> so, suddenly, she's ready for action, and she goes to the window of her villa, where her typewriter is, looking out the window, and she sees Phil outside, and she says, Okay, pal, I'm right here. Come and get me. And she starts shooting at Phil in the courtyard. Yeah, One she starts, shot. She starts fucking. Two shots. She starts fucking lobbing pellets at him, man. Like Three shots. <laughs> yeah. The third shot breaks a um, flower pot. And that's the last you see of the shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. There was another shot. She had another shot in there. She could have fucking used that, especially with the trap she's about to set in like a minute. Yeah, she could have. But at the same time, I do love the fact that she just opens fire on him. She opens fire, but it's it's a shame that she like either it was the fault of the director not tracking four shots or uh, the, the script of her saying four, sh- four rounds or whatever earlier. Like they could have easily fixed that. She could have said three and it would have yeah. been fine. I'm like, you got one more shot and you didn't use it, whatever. And you could have totally used it in T minus five minutes. This is frustrating, but it is what it is. Uh, it's one of the few frustrating moments I have with this movie. Agreed. V- very few. She puts the shotgun down <laughs> and she hears a sound and she gasps as she looks up at the ceiling uh, of the villa because now Phil has a ladder outside the villa climbing up onto the roof. This must be the one en- entrance he was talking about using to get into the house. Mm-hmm. Phil climbs up the ladder with one arm because his other arm has a gash in it. He's yep. got the sickle draped over his shoulder. Yep. Sean runs into the other, uh, into the bedroom, 
and sees the open window to her bedroom, which leads out to her little balcony. And as Phil's struggling to get onto the roof, cuts back to Sean, and she says, this is like Nightmare at Noon. It's a two-way street. By the way, two years later, Nico directs a movie called Nightmare at Noon with Wings Hauser. It's just a great name. I mean, it's a great name. Yeah. Sean takes a picture off the wall, and she uh, ties a rope to the hook on the wall that was holding the picture. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, this is totally Home Alone. Yeah. This this is now the third Home Alone thing she's doing. She ties the rope to the hook on the wall and then connects it to one of the shutters, keeping the shutter closed. The shutter, the wind is opening and closing the shutters. This is now holding the shutter from being uh, like flopping open back and forth. Phil makes his way across the roof to the balcony of her bedroom. He drops down onto the balcony and he's like looking at Sean, uh, like partly through the balcony with one shutter closed, one open. Yeah. And he can't see that she's holding the 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 rope and a knife connected to the rope. Now, why she didn't just let go of the rope and the shutter opens is beyond me. But she, she cuts the rope. She's cutting it. She's yeah. And the rope, uh, once she cuts the rope, it causes the shutter to fly into Phil quickly and you hear something pierce Phil's chest and Phil Phil coughs up blood. Yeah, so so her whole like plan is to like cut that shutter so it flies open and now it happens to hit his sickle and pushed it, you know, right into his chest, right? But what if you didn't have those perfect set of circumstances? Like, what was she hoping to accomplish? It would have just hit him and maybe disoriented him. I don't think her plan was for it to hit the sickle and for because he also has to be holding the sickle so that the blade is sort of facing him, you know. He's holding it backwards. He's holding it backwards, which is weird. And and you said that like weird cut with the shotgun thing. This is for me sort of the weirdest thing. I ultimately don't, it doesn't take anything away from the movie, like, like we said. I mean, spoiler alert, I fucking love this movie. I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But this is one of those weird little things where it's it's a movie moment. You're like, what was your, like, like if this didn't happen, what was the backup to, like, what your plan was here, you know? <clears throat> well, yeah, th- this is, this is, these subtle scenes, I think, are what separate this movie from being a, a mainstream hit yeah. versus a straight-to-video yeah. uh, cult classic. Because people, because cult classics, people can just let go of these yeah. moments and be like, yeah, it's fine. A mainstream hit, people would call this out and be like, no, 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 you can't do that in a mainstream movie. You got to yeah. go back and fix that, you know, but uh, they didn't. So. Agreed, agreed. And, and and it's moments like these that arguably make the movie interesting. It, it makes the movie unique, you know, but logically, it's it's a stretch. That's all I'm going to say. Stretch. It doesn't take anything away from it, but it's a stretch. Yeah. So, so now we're to assume Phil has this, you know, Phil is dead because he got the sickle in his chest. And there's a weird shot where she looks at him hanging over the the side balcony. of the, the the balcony 
you know, over the water, but the way the shot is framed, you don't see the balcony part. You only see him hanging. And so you're like, oh, is this one of those weird shots where he's going to be falling, but the camera's weirdly like at the same like distance from him? No, he's just hanging there. And you're just like, oh, I wish the cinematographer showed that he was kind of draped over backwards over the balcony, you know? I, I agree with you, but it is a cool-looking shot. No, it is. It is a cool-looking shot as a standalone thing, but yeah. as a continuity, you know, a uh, film language, it doesn't express what you sort of need it to express. No, I agree. I And again, I think that's what separates this movie a little bit from a mainstream. And that's also what makes this movie, I think, visually interesting. Yes, and maybe they saw that and they're like, that looks that looks really cool. It's, it's okay. maybe it is someone, a cool, it is a cool shot. And then maybe someone on the crew was like, yeah, but does it make any sense? And they're like, fire that guy. Fire that guy. Put that guy on one of the fans. <laughs> yeah. That guy was Sean Levy, who does Stranger Things. I'm kidding. After this happened, after she realizes Phil's dead and she drops her Michael Myers blade, she backs <laughs> away from the window and is now walking down the stairs of the kitchen of her villa, looking exhausted and terrified and in shock, but she's... She's taken off. She's getting out of there. You cut to a Jeep driving towards the entrance of the villa with the words just married plastered on the front of it <laughs> and tin cans driving from behind it. Uh, the dude and fr- the driver is wearing like a Stanford hat to show that they're American, I guess. <laughs> and at this and point, it's it's like red and white. So it almost looks like a MAGA cap because he also acts like the biggest piece of shit on the planet Earth. Yeah, so we're to assume uh, we find out pretty quickly that that it's like six in the morning, and and he's like yelling at her uh, that they're they're lost, and the wife is like, "You should have listened to me," and he says, "We're in the middle of nowhere," and Lisa's her name. She's like, "All right, all right, all right, all right, we're lost. So what?" And then you cut back to Sean making her way out of the villa. This is very. Um, disorienting and much like very like a labyrinth because you're now getting a vantage point of like, well, she doesn't know how to get from a to B. So she's kind of wandering throughout the villa. Um, At times she like falls into a hole in the ground, which falls into another hole in the ground, which is like a catacomb, which is what uh, Elias was talking about earlier. And there's a skeleton in there it's all kind of not it's not filler it makes sense yeah. it's stuff that they maybe would cut from an hour 45 minute movie but because this movie's 90 minutes they left it in yeah and she you know she's doing stuff like you know she lights her matches and holds her hand in front of them like you're not going to see anything if you're blocking the light emanating from the matches but yeah it's it's it like zach said it's that and then they eventually you know she she sort of like gets to the top of the of the villa area or not the villa area it's i don't know where wherever the street was where those two people are and they they're driving away you know yeah well she she tries to yeah i I do i do want to add one thing because she while they're cutting back and forth between her and the newlyweds cuts back to the newlyweds and the and lisa the the wife is like you know, why don't you look for a phone or look for somebody that's, uh, look for anybody that's around. And he gets out of the Jeep and the wind's blowing him around everywhere. And he shouts at her. He's like, Hey Lisa, I can't find a phone booth. And she says, 
Why would you want to do that? He goes, so I could turn into Superman, you bimbo. Jesus. Her Lisa's the rest of her life is a fucking <laughs> nightmare because this guy is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in any movie ever. He's terrible. It's terrible. He might as so, well be wearing a MAGA cap. Yes. Sean through all her kind of trials and tribulations has made it to kind of the, the top of the entrance of the, 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 the main door to the villa where parked not too far is the newlyweds Jeep They're in their Jeep. They turn around and leave just as she gets out there and yells out, help, help me, help me. And it's too late. At that point you hear a bell ring and a priest is ringing a bell. There's this cool shot of kind of a perspective shot of where uh, the priest is ringing the bell to where the villa is. And it's way the hell far away. Yeah. Like, yeah, probably a mile at least you know, or two miles or maybe more than that. Yeah. Of cobblestones to get down to the to the to the village. She's now super disoriented. And there's like like a 360 degree shot of her looking around as the camera pans around it slowly starts to go from the mountain out to the ocean. And when it gets to the ocean view, who do you see? But Phil standing right in front of her. Looking He's very alive. maniacal. Maniacal and just on fire. He stalks after her. She runs away. They're running. She's basically running back towards the villa again. That's what I'm assuming. My, my only pushback is just throw rocks at him. Because he ha- he's clearly stumbling because he's got a giant gaping chest wound. Got a gaping chest wound, got an arm wound, so he can only use one arm. He's running after her, trying to catch her. He's got his sickle. She keeps on running, and she basically gets to the edge of the mountain where there's like this kind of open, cobblestoned, uh, just open area. With like a with a small wall uh, that leads to a cliffside, she kind of falls down into the corner of the wall and is like almost like just kill me now at this point, totally terrified. Yeah. Phil raises his sickle up to kill her, but just in that moment, you hear the wind pick up. Yep. And blow him off the side of the mountain. As his body gets <laughs> thrown off the mountain, thank you, wind, and pretty much destroys Phil. He, you hear a big loud thud, and, and you hear a she scream. Survives. Like, like it's cool because it's delayed because it's the scream from the wind or something sort of brought it back up. Um, he, it's it's a very clear. You know, mannequin getting thrown off the edge, but I don't it's care. Funny. I don't care. I fucking love it, man. It's low budge. It's low budge. And Phil is now dead. Sean is still kind of like totally out of it and delirious, but she's alive. The camera kind of pans away from her in a really cool perspective shot to show where she is on this mountain in respect to where the village is. And the camera fades out, roll credits, and that is the wind. Yeah, dude. So before we get into our final discussion, do you think 
the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, the wind, there's nothing supernatural to it. The second time I watched it, I was like, you know, it kind of like leads her and stuff like this to like things that she like sort of needs to go and everything. And then it saves her at the end. Uh, is this actually a supernatural movie or not? Is my question to you. I think you can you can imply that I didn't go there. Part of me is like, I don't want to go there. I want it to be real, more reality based. It's just coincidental. You could easily go there with thinking that the wind was kind of looking over her in a way. Cause every time she was to go outside, the wind was trying to push her back inside. Yeah. That's what um, I, that's what I picked up this time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. It's totally cool. I just like more of it. Like now she, you know, Phil didn't acknowledge mother nature and, and screwed up and he could have easily killed her, but he didn't. Yeah. And I'm, I think that's therein lies the genius of this film. Yeah. You can sort of take it however you want. I like that. They don't give you any kind of, uh, you know, total answers on any of this, you know, or whatever. I like that. They give you like, you know, Elias saying what he says about the wind earlier and everything. Dear and dear, dear girl, you know, but, but I like that you don't actually ever know. And it does a good job of allowing you to put your own beliefs on top of it. And regardless, I think this was a fun, fun movie. So oh, much yeah. fun. Agreed. So different than I think we've ever covered on, on the show. And honestly, so more different than I've ever seen like other movies. It's a very unique film. Um, Meg Foster gets a lot of screen time in this film, and I think it's warranted. I think she's fantastic. I think she carries the movie well. I think she's wonderful in it. I think this is might be one of my this is my favorite Crazy Wings performance. I think this might be my second favorite Wings movie that we've done so far. I still love Deadly Force. That's still my favorite. I fucking love that movie. But this might be my second favorite Wings movie. It's because it's it's done so well. Uh, the cinematography is fantastic. The editing is fantastic. The music, yeah. Hans Zimmer, is fantastic. It's a great little one location, one night thriller, man. It's a fun movie, and I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. Pick up the Arrow Blu-ray. I. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Um, I, you know, there's a reason why beyond me and Corey, both loving Wings Hauser, you know, I choose these movies because, um, by the way, I think the Stanley Myers is the other uh, music composer and he did, uh, was involved with like Deer Hunter. Mm. Um, yeah, because there cool. is two two music composers on this. Yeah, so I just want to point out Stanley Myers as well, but we're just gonna you know call out the fact that it's Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to my initial thought. You know, these movie I want to bring something a little off kilter. Uh, there's more off kilter movies that I'll be bringing to podcasting after dark very soon that you would definitely not expect to see in our lineup, but then you do and you go, Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. This movie totally makes sense within yeah. our, besides the fact that wings Hauser's in it wings delivers a a plus villainous role. Uh, Meg Foster is not your typical, um, 
what do you call it? Protagonist? Uh, what do you call that? Like that cliche of like. Uh, oh, in, yeah. Like like heroin, like, you know, like screaming heroin or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like um, the 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 uh, damsel in distress. There you she's go. Not, she's, thank you. God damn, that took me a long time yeah. to figure that out. <laughs> I, I trimmed it, but it did take Zach a long you. time to get there. <laughs> it did. It did. It was like, uh, this is the sound. You, you know, I ever seen that Bugs Bunny cartoon where Yosemite Sam, uh, she, he tell, Bugs Bunny, he tells Bugs Bunny to draw, and yeah. Bugs Bunny draws a gun, and then Yosemite Sam does it, and you hear the piano playing, and it hits a bad note, and he has to do it again. That's what my brain was doing the entire time. <laughs> I was trying to figure out damsel in distress. She's not your typical damsel in distress. There's some moments that are... There are that are typical, and then there's moments that are not. It's what's that's what's great about this movie. There's a uniqueness to this. Yeah, um, I love it. Uh, we've never really covered a Giallo esque type film. We will in the future, trust <laughs> yeah. me. But uh, as this being the first foray with all the the elements involved, it was a no brainer. And at the end of the day, the flaws are so minute compared to the pluses in this movie. So yeah, if you've never seen the win, go seek it out. If you have seen the win, go watch it again. Go watch it right after this. And then go over to our Patreon and sign up for our Patreon (laughs) where we give you so much fun, exclusive content. Yeah. It's especially the carpenter factor. So yeah. So Zach and I have been uh, going through John Carpenter's complete filmography. From the goal is to go from Dark Star to The Ward, starring Amber Heard (laughs) at the very end. She's topical, I guess. Yeah, very topical. By the time we get to that movie, hopefully she won't be topical. (laughs) No, not at all. But right now we have covered Dark Star. Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, and then we've also, uh, Somebody's Watching Me, and then this month we're going to talk about Elvis, his second TV movie. So we are having a great time going through it. Uh, The goal of the series is for us to figure out what the Carpenter Factor is. We will be covering the same movies uh, that we've covered before um, uh, with The Thing and and Prince Prince of Darkness. Darkness. We'll we'll talk about them when they come up on that month. Um, But we're not breaking down the entire movie. It's more of a freeform discussion, and uh, a lot of that discussion is how does that movie fit into John Carpenter's greater catalog? So you can find that that series under the Auteur de Force tier on Patreon. And once we're done with John Carpenter, which will be uh, December 2023, once we're done with it, we'll move on to another Auteur. It could be Walter Hill. It could be Don Cascarelli. We, we're not quite sure yet, but that tier is going to be all about us exploring one auteur at a time. It could be Steven Spielberg. It could be George <laughs> Lucas. No, I'm kidding. We're only going to pick people that, well, personally, that we love. And secondly, have an overall body of work that that fits within the pad framework. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great show. I love doing it. Corey loves doing it. Um, at our highest tier, you can, uh, be someone who procures the movies for our show. You can be a, 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 
you can you can pick the movies that you we can break be an down. executive producer. <laughs> there yes, you, go. you can be an executive producer and be the person that that picks the movies for the show that we will break down. Um, we have had some great selections from our Patreons already. Uh, for example, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, The Monster Squad, Intruder, which was a whoo baby, that was a doozy. <laughs> but like so many fun movies to break down on top of the ones that we choose. So if you like the show and you want to go one step further and you're able to, please consider becoming a Patreon. If you're not able to, and we totally understand, this world we're living in is wacky, uh, there's something free you can do by by giving us a five-star review, writing us a quick little review on Apple Podcast, which goes a long way. It really does. It really does. Uh, you know, giving us a five-star on Spotify, whatever format that you listen to us on and you're able to give us a positive review, we could use it because it can help. Yeah. Uh, and spread the word. If you know someone that's into some sleazy stuff, tell them about us. Yeah. And, and, and the same goes for $2 late fee. You know, like you guys are doing a great job over there. You and Dustin, I, I love you both. We have a, a, a crossover event coming up within the next uh, few oh, months. Yeah. We're going to figure it out. But, you know, same thing applies uh, for $2 late fee. If you, if you can't afford to join the Patreon and, and Zach and Dustin are producing some great Patreon content, if you can't join their Patreon, please also leave them a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. It's it's it really really does help and we do appreciate all the love and support you give our friends as well. But hey Zach, what you got going on this month on on $2 Lafey? What are you guys doing over there? Give us a little well, preview. It, it as we close out the month of May, uh we started the month of May with a uh freeform discussion about Remo Williams The Adventure Begins and R- unfortunately R-I-P Fred Ward man yeah Fred Ward died uh about a week after that well prior to recording that episode we interviewed Patrick Kilpatrick who plays the Tiffany Tooth villain in Remo he's also been in a slew of other movies playing typically a villain um great actor very interesting guy uh shared some nice stories about fred ward in the interview prior to him dying didn't realize obviously he hadn't passed away at that point but patrick kilpatrick is a very interesting interview it's not what we expected it went in a different direction that we thought we were just going to go trip down memory lane with some movies he went super deep philosophy um and it's very worthwhile discussion so that's our latest episode uh it's out now go check that out and coming up in June, we're going to be spotlighting Streets of Fire with a bunch of interviews from the movie and a discussion about the movie. Yeah. Corey has to see Streets of Fire. Yeah, that's, see it. that's a movie that uh, – see our Session 9 discussion. Um, when I worked at the video store, we had a bunch of copies of Session 9. And they never sold, so I assumed it was a shitty movie. Um, it's not. Spoiler alert. Uh, it's just that, you know, I was a porn store, and that's not the right market for that. He is a porn store. I, I worked at a porn store. But Streets of Fire weirdly fell in that category. I remember there's a bunch of DVDs on the shelf, and they just never sold. But again, people only fucking bought porn at that store. They didn't buy, they weren't buying the videos. So Bastards. I had an unrealistic expectation of that film. I want to watch it 
so bad now, so bad. Um, and I think this this uh, this this you know month of Streets of Fire on two dollar lay fee might actually give me the reason to go do it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there a Blu-ray on? There on, is. Yeah, beautiful Blu-ray with a great documentary on it. It's like a two-hour documentary on the making of Streets of Fire, uh, with I- interviews with the pretty much the entire cast and crew. Um, and Streets and of Fire is a Walter Hill movie. It's a Walter Hill film. Yeah. Um. It it is a nice. It's a nice uh, counterpiece to the Warriors. I watched it again recently in prep for uh for for our upcoming month. Goddamn, does it ever hold up? And, and it's tremendous it, soundtrack too. And it's one of those movies where it's like a weird alternate reality type of thing. Yeah, yeah. They call it a uh, Walter Hill calls it a rock and roll fable, but it, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a fusion of like 1950s and. 1980s and maybe the 1970s a little bit too or 60s probably and willem defoe's the, like a villain in it or something yeah willem defoe is a villain michael Prey's the hero hero it's like 1950s 1920s and 1980s fusion i'm not gonna lie to you dude i kind of have a big heart on for walter hill right now so as uh, you should I, yeah as you should diane lane is who was only 18 at the time when she did the movie um is looks amazing rick rick moranis is in it oh shit Um, really yeah rick rosovich from top gun and uh terminator and roxanne and et cetera et cetera it's got a phenomenal cast like oh bill paxton is in it no Um, shit all right deborah van valkenberg from uh the warriors is in it mercy it's got and one dude named stoney jackson um oh uh, robert townsend is in it uh <laughs> mike M- michael t williamson michael t williamson from you know bubba gump from yeah. he's in it yeah uh yeah. great cast the dude from uh die hard where he's like i was in the third grade dickhead grandel <laughs> bush he's in i it. was in junior high dickhead. oh yeah i was in yeah <laughs> yeah love that guy, love that guy. Woo, so just many like so many hey slick <laughs> i love that so um, many great actors in it. You got to you got to check it out. Um, it's it's so good. And yeah, we're devoting a whole month to it. We've got two great interviews, one with Michael Perret, one with Stoney Jackson, uh, who is the leader of the Sorrells. It, everyone thinks that this dude sang the I can dream about you because uh, he does in the music video, but it's not. OK, so. Okay, but that guy's got a crazy career. And uh, yeah, and then we got a whole episode devoted to the the, the, the movie itself. That's awesome. That's I mean, honestly, I, I the time is right for me to to get this. And yeah, hey, my Amazon credit card is already <laughs> so well. So, I, I have so much actually, debt. So much debt for Blu-rays. <laughs> funny you say that. I've got two copies of it actually. I've got a steel book and then the other one. So I'll send you one of them. Oh, oh, buddy, oh, buddy, you don't what gotta I do, do guys. that. You're the what I do. best. You're the best. So please, uh, please go out and support all the shows on the BFOP network. Please go out and support Talking Back, Cartwright, a yeah. Seinfeld podcast, Action, Action, Blast from Our Past, People Don't Forget, Throwback Trivia, Takedown, uh, the new show by Dean uh, over at Talking Back. Uh, he's a new horror podcast called uh, Return, Revenge, Resurrection, and check out all of our friends two dollar lay fee give me back my action movies uh give me back my horror movies cinema nine podcast ready to retro all the shows that we love all of our friends our, our pal aaron's going to be having one uh new podcast coming up soon i believe yeah. i'm going to be on the black emmanuel 
Bell episode, so I can't wait for that because Zach's already put the kibosh on no Emmanuel episodes on podcasting. No, guys, after we're not dark. doing that. I we're know. not doing that. I know it's just softcore porn. <laughs> Jesus, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, for all y'all, no, I'm probably never going back to teaching. So uh, you know. <laughs> I love it. You're like, I've burned that bridge. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to, I know, but uh, go check out everything. And of course, go give $2 late fee some love, you know, cause you guys are awesome. You guys are rocking. And we've got a fun crossover event coming up. We just haven't locked down the month that we're going to do it, yeah. but we know the movie that we're going to discuss. So, you know, look for that in the next few months. And as always, We'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.